tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make that call. And Emma is producing today. Coming up on the show this morning, listeners reacting to various different topics. Uh, the head of the HSE uh, warning that health services will be even worse off financially next year. Irish-style wakes may help people cope better with their bereavement than... Uh, other style funerals in other places, a new study is suggesting. Uh, Muriel Cuddy of uh, Marito 8020 will speak to us today about mindful eating. Uh, we have a little taste of this week's Down Your Way and we'll talk farming as well. So all of that and much, much more on the way. We have a lovely prize to give away and we will play Tip FM's Match 3 game in association with our friends at Stakedom. So all of that and much, much more on the way. Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Independent, their main story. Uh, members of one of Ireland's most prolific burglary gangs used an Airbnb rental for a crime wave in which up to 20 homes were targeted in under five days. The Dublin-based gang rented a property near Knock in County Mayo earlier on this month to carry out these burglaries in three counties. And uh, the innocent host of the property was, needless to say, completely unaware that criminals were staying in the house. There's a wonderful picture on the front of the Indo today because uh, Katie Taylor, as you're probably aware at this stage, uh, preparing for her much-anticipated rematch with Chantelle Cameron in Dublin on Saturday. But uh, she had a public workout at a Dublin shopping centre yesterday and also a meet and greet with some of her fans. But there's a picture of a young lady uh, meeting Katie, obviously her hero, and she's completely overcome by the experience and she's crying and you can see the delight in meeting um, Katie Taylor there. The Irish Examiner and uh, their main story, Gaza remains the most dangerous place in the world to be a child, UNICEF has warned, describing a four-day ceasefire to release up to 50 hostages as far from enough. Also on the examiner today, the government has announced plans to scrap the triple lock system, which prevents Ireland from deploying troops overseas without the approval of the United Nations. Now, those of us who would like to hold on to our sovereignty will be interested to read the detail around that. The Irish Daily Mail, the main story there, the cost of keeping the pensions age at 66 is a price most people are willing to pay. That's according to the Taoiseach as he defended new social insurance hikes and the public expenditure minister, Pascal Donoghue, uh, this week announced uh, uh, that uh, there will be an annual increase to PRSI paid by workers and employers each year for the next five years. The Irish Times, again, their main story is around that, that the coalition to scrap triple lock on Irish troop deployment. And uh, also on the, the Times today, the uh, Israeli-Gaza story uh, making headlines, but the family of the Israeli-Irish national Emily Hand waiting anxiously as you can imagine last night, along with uh, relatives of other children held hostage in Gaza to find out if uh, there will be a release shortly. I think 
the latest news on that this morning is that there is a delay. Also on the Times today, and very worrying to read uh, that a company running emergency accommodation for vulnerable children in state care was involved in deceitful practices which include deleting records and a failure to report uh, issues an internal review has found and uh, the review um, by TUSLA, uh, the Child and Family Agency, raised uh, serious concerns about several providers running special emergency arrangements for children in care. Good God. Anyway, that's a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Do you want to make a comment on any of that? And if you do, we'd be glad to hear from you. 83 now, yesterday was the 60th anniversary of the killing of John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas in November of 1963. And to mark the occasion, Robert F. Kennedy's presidential campaign launched a public petition demanding that all remaining classified or redacted files on the assassination be released. Now, one of our listeners, John, joins me now. John, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Sam. And lovely to talk to you today. John, I was reading that beautiful piece that you wrote that was in Ireland's own back in uh, 2018 where you shared your memories of how you got the news as a young lad. Um, Will you tell me about that? Yeah, well, this was... um, I suppose it was a bit of a shock because, you know, Kennedy had been in Ireland uh, in June a few months previously and he had you know charmed the Irish nation completely and you know we thought of him as he was on a par with you know a film star or kind of a hero Mm. we really thought he was something special and that he was Irish and that he was coming back to Ireland and he swept the Irish people off their feet literally I suppose and we were all kind of heavily invested in Kennedy as this great man, a great world leader and inspirational man. And, you know, then on the the day of November 22nd, we, you know, we didn't have television in our house no. or any of the houses around where I lived Nobody had the television. There was televisions in the pubs, and sometimes as kids, we'd sneak into the pub in the afternoon to watch TV. Or there was a neighbour of ours who had one as well, and could watch it over the half door. But this was late in the evening in November, mm. and so we had no choice. We couldn't just go there. So and we're talking about Feathered, of course, John. Aren't we? Feathered, sorry, Feathered. Feathered yes, uh, yes. And there was a shop down the main street. A man called Jack O'Shea. He had. Um, he sold televisions and gas cookers and he had a cobbler shop. It's now Butler's uh, off-license mm. window. And he used to have TVs in running inside the window, in the window of the shop. But there was no sound, very muffled sound. So we'd go there to watch TVs, just to, just give you an idea of the, the different times. Yes. And that's how we watched TV. But it was really cold and... Um, I don't can't really remember what program was on, but suddenly and just a news flash came up, and the the I think it was Charles Mitchell came on, and we couldn't rightly hear what um what he said, but we kind of picked up that it was something to do with Kennedy, mm. and then TV just blanked off. So God, we said something bad must have happened to. So I ran off home, and my mother was in the kitchen. Glued to the radio, and mm. she just silenced me. She said, 
is still alive because she knew that we suspected something had happened to Kennedy. And we sat by the radio then in silence in the kitchen waiting for news updates on... And, and John, she, she was visibly shaken, you were saying in oh. your story. So this took an enormous effect on her. Oh, it did. It was like... Yeah. Like somebody close, sort of family member or someone very close. Because mm. uh, we felt that kind of closeness to Kennedy. Yes. If he had that, he had that power in his personality and his charisma that he people just felt that mm. this kind of affinity with him and what he stood for. You know, and what, what age? What age were you at the time, John? I was. Uh, about 10 I think right so even though um, at 10 you were well aware of the effect that he had on people and, yeah oh, absolutely yeah. yeah and it was to think that you know just the, the power of the man that this happened in Dallas thousands of miles away and but there wasn't the same power same um, level of communications in those days as there is now you know like mm. social media and all that stuff that News is instant. So this, you know, there was a famous saying that this shot in Dallas rang, 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 rang out around the world. Well, I was just a young kid in a small town in Tipperary, and I felt it personally. You know, it was just, I suppose I don't know whether we were duped or what, but that's what we felt at the time. That we felt a real sense of loss. Of course, was, yes. This great man was taken away. You know? And the coverage and, on the radio then, when when you found out that he was there, because your mother had hope at that period of time, when you found out that he was dead, what, what was the reaction then? It was... It was like a death in the family, you know. It was just... Um, and not just in our house, but all around the town. Yeah. It was like, I suppose, that cliche, a pall of gloom descended. You know, it was like... People were talking about it in, in sort of lowered voices and what had happened and terrible thing and you know it was just I, I never I suppose now the modern version might have been when Princess Diana died or mm. something you know yes. that's the nearest equivalent in recent times that I could think of that it had the same kind of effect mm. on people that they felt a real sense of loss. For somebody, I suppose, that we didn't really know except through media. But for the three days that Kennedy was in Ireland, he just, you know, it was just like he, he switched on a light or something, mm. as if we were in a semi-darkness. Then he came and he lit up, he lit up the entire country, you know, that's, mm. and gave us all this kind of boost that he was one of us. He was Irish, and that's what we felt, and he was sort of coming home, coming back to his where he had come from. And and, and people was, over the years would have lampooned the Irish people of of that generation because, of course, they were said to have the picture of the Sacred Heart and beside it, the picture of Kennedy. He was held in that sort of reverence, you know. Oh, he was. Well, he, we had a... In our kitchen, there was a bust of Kennedy on the mantel. Was you know, there indeed, John? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it was there for years and years. And yeah. I suppose... Well, Ireland was a very impoverished place that day, even then in 1963. Yeah. You know, Sean Lamass, I think, this thing of lifting all boats mm. and the mm. sort of modernising the country was just starting, and the 60s were just starting, the Beatles and all this swing in London and the youth culture was coming into mm. play at that yeah, time. The, the show bands, I suppose, were, were about to start in Ireland as well. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And the whole the world was sort of 
suppose it was coming out after from the Second World War as yeah. well. Like yeah. Ireland during the fifties lost thousands, thousands, of, and even in nineteen sixty-three when I was a kid, that time people were leaving Feathered. Mm. Constantly, when you came to about 15, 16, you were off to London, mm. to England, or whatever. Because there was nothing uh, for you, I suppose, John. There was no yeah. work. That, and I suppose Kennedy, I suppose, in some kind of way, he gave hope to people. And it yeah. was, I think it was Lamas that brought it here. He, he was trying to modernise the country as well and give it a lift and take it out of the, the darkness of the, we said, the Devil Era age, you know, and he was... Yes. The and, and I suppose that. that notion that an Irish American could reach the pinnacle of being the President of the United States was, I suppose, what, what gave people hope. Well, that was it. You know, we, we really and truly felt that he was an Irish... It was, I one of us. His grandfather. Yeah. So one of us yeah. went, went off on the, the ship, the emigrant took the boat or the plane, probably the boat at that time, that got to the highest uh, pinnacle of power in America. You know, a yeah. Catholic, he was a Catholic and he was Irish. And I suppose Irish first, really. But, and it was just, I suppose it's hard to, for people maybe nowadays to understand that, you know, mm. that. It was Ireland was a gloomy place then, you know, very and, gloomy. And did you, did you always, you know, have that, or did you allow what subsequently emerged about Kennedy that, you know, like like most of us, he was a flawed character, I suppose, John, and, and we've discovered that more and more over the years. Did that dilute in any way your memories and the importance of his visit here, I suppose? No, not, not, not in the least, not a yeah. bit, because, you know, there's so much, I mean, there's a saying, you can't libel the dead, and yeah. man is dead, and he can't, you know, speak for himself, he was never so. there to speak for himself, yeah. but... You can, I suppose, divorce the the political lead, world leader from whatever, all those stories about Marilyn Monroe and mm. the mafia, and I don't know yeah, how yeah. true any of that is, because yeah. there's just books upon books. It's mm. an industry, you know, writing yeah. about Kennedy yeah. and the Kennedy family. And, and, and speculating about his killing as well, of course. Yeah, and well, all the, all the conspiracy theories yeah. about yeah. them, CIA and the Russians and the KGB and all this stuff. Yeah, it's hard. I suppose it's difficult for to think that he was the most powerful man in the world, JFK, the president of the United States, with all the the apparatus of the American state, the bodyguards and the CIA and the FBI and the police force surrounding him, and they couldn't protect him. You know, they yes. failed him. Yeah. You know, he was. Yeah. He was he was a fascinated, and I suppose it's hard to believe it was just one individual, maybe a dysfunctional individual, or he has been referred to as a non-entity. I don't know if he was or not, but he was a person. But it was hard. I suppose it's hard to think that one individual acting alone could could have done that. You know, could have killed yes. the leader and, of the world. And it's, it certainly did affect, I suppose, the course of history, whatever way you might read it. Uh, can I compliment you again on your piece, though, in Ireland's own? Because I, I was taken with how you wrote it, because you gave us an indication of the ordinariness of life that was going on in parallel with these momentous 
um, events that was happening in in Dallas, and and that's a very interesting way that you wrote the article. That was obviously deliberate, John. Well, it was. Yeah, I, I was. Um, you know, it's it's a sh- short piece. I think it's about eight hundred words or yeah. something. And it when you have to write something in that, it's it's not a lot of words really. So I, I don't know. Really, I wanted to kind of juxtapose, I suppose, Kennedy's day in kind of broad terms yeah. and what Oswald was doing as well and my own day as well. Yes. Started the ordinary school day and boring day at school and and like when something momentous like that happens, I suppose it's the day is just an ordinary day, but then something happens and then that day is it's dated in the history books as November twenty second was just another day in November and then suddenly by the end of that day, to me, it was emblazoned in my mind. Yes, yes. This, this, as the day that JFK was assassinated. Yes, and like yeah. like nine eleven, these these dates yeah. then become, as you say, embedded in 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 our minds. Um, I hope you you continued to write, John. Did you? Well, I do. Yeah, I've had a lot of pieces published in Ireland's own. You yeah. know, and I actually have a story, two stories coming up. One a Christmas story coming up in, I think it's in the double issue on Christmas week. It's a Christmas story mm. called A Quiet Christmas in the Heart. I think that'll be coming out in that. Then there's another one about my, it's a piece about my grandmother and mm. sort of a memory piece about finding it. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having to clear out a house that's of, of someone that's of a family, a family house. And mm that's been sold and sort of you know, getting stuff, dumping it into the skip and mm. then as you handle things, memories come the back. memories, so, of course. Yeah. What, what, what a lovely idea for a story as well. John, I must leave it there, but thank you so much and thank you for sending us uh, the piece as well. Lovely to talk to you, John. Okay, Fran, you're welcome. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye to you. Now, that's uh, John Fogarty speaking to us uh, there. And yesterday we spoke to a number of listeners, in fact, about their memories of that fateful day in uh, Dallas. 1800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie oh, Nice to hear from our good friends at KD Hair Design in Newport because they're holding an in-salon uh, fundraiser for breast cancer research today from about now until half past seven this evening and uh, they're telling us that a number of local businesses have kindly gifted prizes for the free raffle so you can donate in the bin with a chance to win and it's a very worthy cause as you can imagine and uh, they're telling us as well it's very dear to their hearts all the people working there at KD Hair Design so if you can drop in there today you'll be made fierce welcome uh, altogether 1800 938 Now to celebrate the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel they're holding their winter wedding viewing day this uh, coming Saturday uh, between 11am and 4pm and by way of celebration they've given us a festive afternoon tea for two every day this week in their newly renovated wheat bar and their lovely bistro there as well so we're giving that away right now and we have a question for you the wise men 
when they arrived bearing gifts, they brought gold, frankincense and what? What was the third gift? Gold, frankincense and, yeah, 83 311 Give us your name and your details and we will pop you in the draw where that is concerned. Now, the, the head of the HSE has warned the health service will be even worse off financially next year. And, of course, the government has announced a bailout for the health service of ne- nearly €1 billion Euro for this year. One of our listeners, Mary, joining me now. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning. And lovely to talk to you today, and thank you for coming on with me. You think the thank HSE is a bit of a shambles, Mary? Well, the CEO, the CEO of the world ranking of health systems has ranked Ireland as 84th place in the world. So the health systems of countries like Iran, Albania, Algeria and Kenya are above Ireland. And we're a far richer country, one of the highest spenders per capita on health in the world. So what's going on here? Where's the money being spent? So what is going on here, do you think, Mary? I think... We have, I mean, we, there's been a big trawl of RTE. I think we need to do a big trawl of where the money is spent, being spent. Why are people being in certain positions being paid so highly? Mm. And I think we have to start at management because if we look at the hospitals, we have the worst waiting list. We have the mainly the dirtiest hospitals from what I can see. I mean, I've read something there where they're saying, oh, the cost of cleaning has gone up. Mm. So that's where money is going. I can go into, I've been in a hospital very recently, and I can tell you the standard of cleanliness mm. was third world. Don't, don't name the hospital for me, but what... what no, did, I'm not going what, to name what, any hospital. What did you see, Mary? What, what made you think it was dirty or unhygienic? Well, I saw a white sink at 8 o'clock in the morning, which, uh, it looked as though a cup of tea or a cup of coffee had been thrown into it. But it was still there when I was there at 5 o'clock in the evening. So it wasn't cleaned throughout the day? At 8 o'clock in the morning, I saw crumbs on the floor under beds where very sick people were being treated for cancer. And, and those crumbs, if that floor had been cleaned... In the evening or early in the morning, they wouldn't be there at eight o'clock in the morning. Right. And I saw machinery that was being used. I rubbed my hand over it. I took pictures, and you could write your name on it. Dusty and dirty. Equipment yeah. that was being used to for infusions. So, was it any surprise to you then that we have sort of issues of, you know, various bugs? Um, in not, I'm not one bit surprised. I mean, we have the highest number of medical negligence cases. Mm. We have the highest rate of MRSA and uh, illnesses that are related. We can put fancy names on them, but they're related to dirt. In the days of the in, in the days of the nuns and 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 matrons, we didn't have these problems, did we? I know there were names, but we didn't hear of these infections. And is it a case, I mean, let me play devil's advocate uh, for you on this because the HSC is saying that's all fine and very well, but, you know, there's the population is much higher now, 75,000 additional people presenting in emergency departments this year by comparison to 2019, for example. So does that hold anything for you? 
No, because we have more hospitals. We have bigger hospitals mm. than we had then. There's more hospitals in Ireland than there was then. Mm. There's bigger hospitals. There's more doctors. There's more supposed to be more nurses. We have the poor, the, the poorest paid nurses. They're all leaving. We have a problem. We have nurses and doctors now that can barely speak English. I know we have to we have to have a balance, but we have a lot of them that can barely speak English. Where are all our Irish nurses going? We're all. I spoke to an agency nurse recently. I can't wait to get out of here. They're working twelve-hour shifts. Do you want an injection from someone who's getting uh, who's been working on twelve hours? Who's exhausted? I think that's very, yeah, who's exhausted? Yeah, yeah, they're exhausted. And today they're we're hearing about saying. I know a lot of them want to work 12-hour shifts, but they shouldn't be allowed. Uh, we're hearing about St. John's Hospital today, where the nurses there, they have a work to rule. They're down 30 nurses there. There's 30 nurses that need to be uh, brought in there. But now there there's a, a moratorium on, on, on uh, hiring as well as everything else. So that's only going to add to the issue. So next year, we could well have this conversation when we're in an even worse situation, Mary? Oh, it's not going to get better until we tackle management. Mm. What's going on in management? I mean, I don't think a degree entitles a person to a super salary. I don't think that's what people are educated for. I mean, I have the same respect for the person that's keen on the floor underneath me as I have. I will give them the same respect as I will a top consultant. Mm. But I don't think, I think, and I know COVID has destroyed it as well because we've all given them, the medical profession, we've given them the stick to beat us with really because we bowed to them when they were just, when they were doing a job they were hired to do. It's just like a soldier going to war. They may never have to go to war. They may never have been a crisis. There was a crisis, but they're supposed to be and, trained. And, and now, what are, you, what are you saying to me there, Mary? The fact we were all out there applauding uh, what the frontline workers were doing was was that was that incorrect? Do you think? Do you think we went over? Yes, the I top do. I think I, could, I I think from my dealings, and I've had quite a lot recently, that we've we we've, we've put them on a pedestal, and now we have created a very arrogant. I'm not saying all of them. But nurses and doctors have become very arrogant and very, um, you know, you don't ask questions. You don't question the medical system anymore. Or if you do... That's very interesting because when when most people are critical of the HSE, they're always at pains to point out, oh, we're not talking about the nurses and doctors here. We're talking about the administration and the management. But you're talking about everybody really involved in healthcare, aren't you? I think everybody involved, yes. I know that we have some good nurses, we have some good doctors, but I think, I mean, starting with GPs even, I know from listening to other people, you can wait three, four, five, six weeks to get into a GP now. Well, you certainly can wait a couple of days anyway. I haven't heard people waiting that length of time, but obviously that's your experience. I have, yes. Have you? Yes, I have, yes. Mm. And I've heard quite a few people. Yeah, you can go into any other country. I've experienced that myself at the moment. You can walk in, sit in the waiting room and be seen. You can get an appointment with a consultant in any other country. Most other countries anyway. I've I've experienced that Mm. as late as yesterday. And you can be seen Mm. within 
24 hours with any consultant. The GPs are telling us, Mary, that you know they're completely overwhelmed at the moment as well because of an increase in population and because of the, the, the lack of GPs as well. Uh, again, does that convince you in any way? No, it doesn't because I have sat in, in GPs' waiting rooms and I have seen three and four people sitting in the waiting room and I have not seen them busy. I, what I see is now, okay, most GPs now are companies. They're they're not the family GP days dead and gone. Yes, there's so therefore, that involves there's several clinics. GPs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so therefore it's not about, uh, probably years ago it was about as much money as they could get in and as much patience that you could get. But now it, I think it's about as little work for as much money. As well as that, we have the charges that are going to insurance companies from hospitals. I've mm. seen them. They are just absolutely crazy. Mm. I mean, a hospital gets 30,000 for four weeks, a person in a hospital for four weeks. I think that's crazy. And if you look... And is that private hospitals you're talking about now? I'm talking about public hospitals. Mm. I've seen the bills. 30,000 for four weeks in a hospital. And, um, I mean... You're asked for your insurance the minute you go in the door, mm. no matter how sick you are. And if you go through, I've gone through, I've itemised bills. And I've seen charges for things that never happened, for consultants that were ne- never by the bedside. Uh-huh. When it's all junior doctors. I've yeah. been in A&E recently. Kids are running A&Es. And still, and if you're and over still 70, we're, it's got help you. And still we're bailing out for this year €1 billion. Euro of a bailout on top of their budget. So one billion euro of a bailout. Well, there's no other country in Europe with the same population getting as much, spending as much money. Well, the NAHS, though, in fairness, they they have a lot of problems over there, but it doesn't seem to be quite as bad as what we're dealing with here. Certainly not. Hmm. I I happened to have spoke to a family member recently who needed surgery a young chap who needed surgery. Mm. If he was in Ireland, by hell, he would be waiting years. And he was able to get it very, very quickly. Mm. Publicly? Uh, Publicly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, And if if it was up to you, Mary, and you were given a magic wand, what would you do first? I would start with what consultants are being paid and I would start, I'd start with management, really, because, I mean, doctors are being, consultants now are being told, I mean, if it's high-tech drugs, if it's expensive drugs, mm. um, I do happen to know that the doctors have to, they've been in arguments with the HSE with regard to what drugs they provide for people. Do you, do you mean as opposed to a generic alternative or something? As opposed to a generic, I happen to know that, you know, cancer patients and other patients will be told, oh, um, if you, I mean, you really need, to, if you're a sick person, you really need to do your own research in, in Ireland at the moment. My God. You need to do your own research and find out what should you really be on. But it, 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 I happen to know of a case where a person was told, this drug will suit you. Uh, they saw a second opinion and were told, no, you need a combination of drugs. Oh, an Irish consultant would say, that's not available in Ireland, it's not licensed. Uh, the European consultant would say, oh yes, it is licensed, it's a European. Mm. You're in Europe, it is licensed. 
you ask the consultant or their secretaries and they'll say, oh, not licensed in Ireland, we're way behind. And I thought that I read recently that in certain cases uh, that if it is licensed in, in Europe um, that we could use it here, but it just goes to show you. It's it, it's a bit of a shambles it's as far as you're concerned factor. anyway. It's a cost factor. It's yeah. a cost factor. Yeah. I found out, oh no, the drug is very expensive. Then, when you produce a letter to the HSE and say, is this drug licensed? Oh, yes, it is. Mm. Uh, the consultant won't give you any explanation as to why they wouldn't use it. In other words, mind your own business. Mm. We give it to you now. We'll give it to you because you've questioned. And it's uh, all t- about. Tell me this, Mary, before I leave you go. I mean, the people are speculating that the next government may be led by Sinn Féin, for example, and uh, they've spoken about uh, the current situation in health where they describe it as reckless and chaotic and how it's funded and the like without any consequences for anybody. Um, do, do you see anything in what they're saying that might lead you to believe that they might have the, the fixing of this? Um, well, I'd hope Mary Lou might have a more compassionate, more down-to-earth, because I think, I mean, the HC are the highest employers in Ireland. Is there too many people working in the HSC? If you go into A&E, we'll hear all the stories about they're overworked. I've been in a, quite a few A&Es recently. There's more people outside. I've seen people as late as a few weeks ago at four o'clock in the day in A and E in a small in a country A and E, and I went. I was there until three thirty in the morning. Went back in at eight o'clock in the morning, and some of those people were still there. Yet I saw more people inside in A and E. I don't. It's not called A and E now. Mm. But, um, People working there, you mean? You saw nurses and doctors, Yes, I saw more people working there. I saw more people on computers, more people writing. Why haven't we got a system where doctors, uh, when you go into A&E, your GP has sent everything on, it's been read, it's computerised. Why isn't everything on computers? Yeah, and and computers reading. They're supposed to have a system. Instead of, the the doctor has to read, he has to read a letter. All right, Mary. Not, I, I then must... he hasn't time, and then he goes and he he questions the sick patient. Why are you here, like? Yeah, and answering the same questions done, over and over again. Asking the same questions over. Yeah. I, I see so much of that. The same old question is being asked over and over by every person in there. So right. that's a waste of time. Mary, I must leave it there. But thank you so much, and uh, really, really good you. to speak to you this morning, Mary. Thank you, and you've certainly generated a lot of interest from our listeners. One listener saying. Uh, doctors and nurses don't want to work for their money. I had a nurse tell me one day when I was in hospital that she had nothing to do and that was about half past 11 in the morning. Somebody else saying a problem with uh, health is that we have a minister that has no qualifications whatsoever in the field. We should have an expert in charge of health, not a politician. Well, we've had at least two doctors, including Leo Varadkar, um, as health minister and, you know, it could be argued that they didn't exactly work wonders either so I'm not sure 083 311 3311
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Right, a listener says they were very arrogant before COVID, uh, but I agree with that woman. The people praising the doctors and nurses are private patients. If doctors are able to do online consultations for health companies, they're not that busy. Do they do that? Do they? Well, uh, somebody else saying, Fran, I'm a family carer. We're in and out of hospitals all over the country. But the worst place we've been in was absolutely filthy. I witnessed a cleaner wash the sink and then wipe down the tray table uh, that you eat from with the same cloth. Plus, I was in the hospital myself in A&E for 72 hours. And my screen has gone blank now. And nobody would empty the commode. I was confined to the room and the commode was overflowing. Wow. Oh wait, three, three double one double three double one. Now something else we've been uh, discussing over the last couple of days. Uh, the government are planning to fast track a section of the new Foynes Road uh, to ensure that the bypass of Adair in County Limerick is completed in time for the Ryder Cup in 2027. Now road safety groups in Tipperary, particularly in the Tipperary town area, saying it's frustrating that one area can get priority and fast tracked because of a sporting uh, competitions. One of our listeners, Gus, joins me now. Gus, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. And good to talk to you, Gus. You think it's it's only right and proper that Adair would be bypassed, I guess, Gus. Is that right? Um, without a shadow of a doubt, um, they're looking for a bypass of Adair, for the, I'd say, since the 70s. Um, I've travelled that road numerous times, and it, it's it's a nightmare trying to get through it. Mm. And it's not doing either that place or fines, uh, which they're looking to get the, an upgrade to fines with all the heavy-duty traffic. I mean, it's the main port mm. and the western side of the country. Um, I, I, I honestly believe myself. I thought the, the, the bypass would have been done many years ago, but between objections from these people and not suitable routes, etc., etc., um, uh, I'm, I'm very happy this is going, going ahead. And I can understand the frustration of the people in Tipperary Town. Uh, I went through that on a daily basis between 1990 and 1996 up and down to Clanbell. And it was a nightmare trying to get through it at that stage. Mm. And now we have twice as many uh, vehicles on the road. So I, I, I don't envy them at all. And I agree it should be done straight away. Mm. I, I, like yourself, I'm well aware of the situation in Adair because I travel that road quite quite a lot and it is a pain in the ass, to be honest with you. But I suppose, as you say, what's annoying people is that notion that, uh, you know, a bypass can be fast-tracked um, because of a certain situation that's happening with a sporting occasion. So, yeah, you know... I, I, I can see how people would, 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 would say that, but it's not... It hasn't... It Actually, it hasn't been fast-tracked. Uh, it's in, in the planning. I'd say if you go back, uh, it's definitely there since the 80s. Mm. Uh, but they couldn't agree on, on, on how to do it. And I'm a great believer in, in uh, bypasses in, in most, of the, most of the towns in the country, if possible. Uh, it doesn't mm. do any, any harm. It actually only uh, helps the majority of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know yourself there, there was a recent uh, bypass of Macroom done. 
Yeah. And it was a, uh, I saw the interview on television with some of the shopkeepers. They said it was fantastic. It was mm-hmm. the first time that people could actually pull up going through there and get something in the shops instead of being waiting for 20 minutes or 25 minutes to go from A to B. Of course, and where Cashel is concerned, mm-hmm. it was a great boost for the town as well, even though there's still some heavy-duty traffic mm-hmm. going going through there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know what you're saying, that that's been on the cards for decades mm-hmm. where Adair is concerned, but I suppose mm-hmm. what annoyed people again was that Eamon Ryan came out in recent mm. times to say that, look, we are fast-tracking this and here's why uh, we're doing that. And also, pe- the the irony is not lost on people, Gus, that here's the Green Minister who's, you know, advocating that we all look at our, our carbon mm. footprint and, of mm. course, by the nature of the Ryder Cup, people will be flowing in, flying in from all over the world, you know. So there's I, a bit of irony there, I suppose. Well, in all of those things, there's probably irony. Because if you want to, um, some, no, I wouldn't be a green supporter. But mm. I have to, say, I have to say that they have a lot of good ideas, mm. which I would, I would support some of their ideas. Yeah. Uh, I, I, he's he would be against roads. I think he's making a big mistake, actually. Believe it or not, because uh, by the by the very nature of 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 the heavy duty trucks and cars mm. uh, delayed for twenty minutes, you can imagine what kind of fuel they're using, for sure. sitting doing nothing. Yes, and the, the the pollution in that area where they're sitting as well. With, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, correct. I mean, like, uh, I, I I hate bringing up about the, the debts on the road. Mm. I got help. Uh, there was a hundred and, over 160, 169 yeah. this year, right? And we keep coming up and say, we'll do this and we'll do that. And the National Roads Authority have a lot to answer for it as well. But mm. there are four or five things that I cannot understand. First of all, they give us out statistics and they say 32% was involved in uh, drug or drink driving, 27% of that. They never say that 76% had nothing got to do with that. Yes. They always used it, what you call it. And they're, 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 the nine factor as far as I'm concerned, there, is, there are things that can be uh, fixed. Like, like what, Gus? Like what? what I, I, well, 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 the first thing they're talking about said, one of the big successes that I have seen uh, on the road and uh, um, fairly often on the roads was on the M7 between Nina and Port Hill. Mm. They put in the, the, the cameras that you pick up the average speed. Yes. Right? Yeah. Now, on, on, I travelled that road almost every Sunday and I used to say, uh, I'll go along now and I'll tip away at 100 mm. kilometres. Mm. Right? I would say, and one time I would have 20 passing me within one minute. Right, I went the whole way to to the last day. One car passed me. Yeah, it's very one. effective. It's very. It effective, is very effective, yeah. and I cannot understand why they can't extend that throughout the Charlotte. And uh, I also have a thing, and it's only a, a mad suggestion. People would say um, it wouldn't happen if our limit is 120 kilometres, which is 75 miles an hour. Right, mm. I do not understand why cars are being made they can go at 220 kilometres an hour. I would suggest that seeing as we're not allowed to go any faster than 75 miles an hour, that any car being imported into this country, no, no cars I'm speaking, should, should have a, a, a limiter mm. on, 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 on the speed they can do it. They couldn't go any further than that. Yeah, it's a, it's a controversial one, I would imagine. And, you know, I love cars myself. They've been my downfall over the years, Gus, so I might <laughs> I might have a bit of a problem with that. But, but look, if it, was, if it would save lives, sure, why not? Correct. Know? Correct, correct. Why not? And I'll and, and make one final point before, before I, 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 I... The one no, point no I was... Yeah. They, they, were saying, they were saying about uh, uh, 
learner drivers driving on their own. Yeah. Right? I, I, I think that no one can prove to me that he's a safer driver by having um, a qualified driver with him. No yes. one can prove that to me. Right? That that we've had accidents where, where um, that they were driving on their own. But but no one can tell me that he may not have had that accident if there was if there was a full a man with a full license with him. It's it's an interesting point. I don't have the stats in front of me, but they do say they do give us a figure on the amount of accidents that you know mm. people who are not fully qualified have in cars when they're on their own. So well, you, yeah. you you're right, but 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 that doesn't. You could have a, a fellow that qualified for fifty years, the same as myself. Mm. But mm. that doesn't mean that it, that I wouldn't have an accident. For sure, for sure, yeah. You know, for sure, look at Yeah. And how do you think that average speed would work, though, on rural roads? You know, that, that, that notion of... Well, well, I drive on the r- rural roads an awful lot, and I have to say this much, I, I'm surprised with some of the driving. Oh, yeah, uh, me, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I can't... Why they get it into their head that they have to go so quick. Do you, and, do you I drive mean, early in the morning, Gus? Uh, well, not be, uh, nine o'clock. All right. Nine, I don't. No, just, I, I drive very early in the morning, and and I I see madness. I mean, absolute madness on the road. I, and I I I can well understand that. Yeah. We have fellas rushing here and rushing there, and 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 we're talking about the, the bypasses. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden, he could be fastening you with 120 kilometres an hour, and maybe on an 80 or whatever, whatever yeah. it is. But and and the next thing was 10 minutes after you 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 you, you catch up to him because he's he's in gridlock. Yeah, it's crazy. And I don't want to offend everybody who drives a van, <laughs> but some of the van because I drive a van every so often myself. But <laughs> the, some of the van driving in the morning. So, <laughs> you it's, know, well, it's, it's not even just in the morning, no. Yeah, uh, friend, yeah. I will tell you straight Some of the drivers that are driving. Um, they're not, as you say, vans and heavy yeah. duty vehicles. Um, whether whether they they, they have a, have it in their head that there's no fear of them because they're driving big big mm. bigger vehicles. Uh, I often get the impression that they say, "Look, it sure they can drive away to, yeah. if if they hit something. Uh, it, it's not the it's not going to be their problem as such, God, right? Silly, I mean, yeah. it, it, like if you hit something smaller than yourself, the likelihood mm. is that that you won't be affected." Yeah, an, you know, un, but, an, but, an unfortunate but, way to think. Gus, I must leave it there because I'm heading for news. But look after yourself on the road, Gus, and good to talk to you. Thank you. And thank you very much. Thanks, thanks, thanks Gus. Uh, news and information is coming. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Now our prize, that is the festive afternoon tea for two in the newly renovated Wheat Bar and Bistro at the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel is going to Anne Smith from Ballyluby. Well done to you, uh, Anne. And that's by way of celebration of the fact that this coming Saturday, the Talbot Hotel having their winter wedding viewing day between 11am and 4pm. And everybody, of course, welcome along to that. Now, if you want to register for to play the Tip FM Match 3 game in association with Stakelums, now is your opportunity. So if you give us your your name and your details, and if you put Match 3 at the end of your text or WhatsApp, uh, we will call somebody back 
um, over the next while. So that's 083 311 Irish style wakes are a better way to grieve the dead. Services that are open to the public and feature an open casket help the bereave, uh, bereaved to adjust to loss. Now, that's according to a study involving 2,000 people looking at prolonged grief disorder. That's PGD. Uh, about 10.9% of grieving people in Ireland had PGD, compared to 15.3% in the UK. So Irish wakes may help people cope better with their bereavement. Now, to talk to me about this, I'm glad to be joined by Vincent Murphy, who is a proprietor and undertaker at McCarthy's Funeral Directors in Feathers. Of course, we all know him much better as Jasper. Good morning to you, Jasper. Hi, Frank. And thanks very much for coming on with us today. That study, would you go along with that from your vast experience, Jasper? My vast experience? Uh, I would. Yeah, I think think, um, Irish people uh, do funerals better. Um, I know it sounds strange, but um, I think the the Irish wake is a very important part of Irish life, and I think it's an important part of grieving and coping with the the loss of somebody. Mm. And that notion of lots and lots of people coming into the parlour or coming into the home, which is is more popular in recent years, to meet people, does that all play into this as well, do you think, Jasper? It does. It's um, like it's not only you're not only grieving for the person that's gone, but it's a celebration of their life. Mm. And like I have spoken with people from other cultures who have experienced it for the first time when they come to Ireland, and initially they're gobsmacked. Mm. They can't believe that you know a thousand people or two thousand people might pass through a funeral home or a house, mm. and then stay around and have a sandwich or have a drink, and it could end up in a virtual party, you know. And that mm. does happen, and I've seen it happen so many times. And actually, when, when I was asked by a researcher, Emma, to come on, I looked back because we're in the business nearly 200 years. Mm. So I looked back in the books and I was hoping to find a specific funeral that, um, that I, I read years ago where a family came in. And because we're in the, the bar and bar trade as well, and we were yes. hoteliers, um, people came in to make arrangements. And there was one funeral where they came in to make the arrangements and they ordered the beer, the whiskey, the biscuits, the food the clay pipes and the tobacco the day before they ordered the coffin and the habit. Oh so, you know, that's... Yes. <laughs> it's a tradition going back a long time and um, it's like the Irish wake was a fairly raucous thing. I was involved in a programme years ago and I remember there was a, a social historian on and she said that the clergy were quite against the Irish wake mm. because the Irish wake turned into a hooli. Yes. And, you know, people weren't... So they, they started off sober and boring to bed but they, it ended up in a party. And, like, I've seen it happen so many times. Yeah, and as, as you say, a celebration of a person's life, I suppose, alongside the grieving. It is, and yeah. uh, like I remember, um, one of the one of the hardest things during COVID was that people couldn't have a wake. For sure, you know. And I remember we got very inventive with one funeral here in Feathers. Um, a local man, very popular. Um, he was a news agent, and most people met him. He was the first person that most people met every day, mm. and a great social historian, and a great GA man, and. Everybody was missing the fact that he couldn't have a wake, so we got a bit inventive and we got um, a marquee open-sided and we waked him up in the GAA pitch. Are you so serious? Was, wow. Yeah, there was air blown around, so nobody was going to get COVID. Uh, there was no contact. The, the family just stood at one side. People passed through, paid their respects. And, you know, it meant a lot to the family and it meant a lot to the people who missed him. What a lovely idea, though, you know. 
Yeah. It was, and it worked really well. Yeah, we were blessed. We had a lovely day for it. Yes. I'm not so sure it would have been so nice if there was uh, wind and rain, but, um, you know, they, they, that's how important the wake is to Irish people. Now, I know there are occasions where you can't have an open casket, but yeah. where where you can, how important is that, Jasper, for example? I think it is important because people get to grieve and say goodbye mm. uh, in person. Like, there's there's something kind of impersonal about looking at a coffin yes. that's closed. Now, there are, yeah, there are occasions when you just can't open a coffin. Mm. You know, it could depend on, you know, an illness or a car crash or an injury or something yeah. like that. And that's just something that can't happen. But in general, people like to look and see um, the person that's left behind. And you're hoping that, you know, the person will look good in the coffin because they don't necessarily always look good mm, yeah. uh, for different reasons. But um, it does give closure to people. And, like, I've found that, you know, some people, the two or three days, even with two or three days in the house, they kind of said, well, the time knows, it's time to close the coffin and go. But um, they've had their time and they've had their time to grieve and celebrate. Yes, yes. And it, it makes yeah. it easier then, I suppose, to cope in some way with the loss. I think it does, because I remember a friend of mine, his dad died, and he was he was dreading the, the wake, mm. where his dad was a well-known man, so there was a lot of people, a lot of people came through, mm. hundreds of people came through the funeral home. And we were chatting the night before, and he said, oh, God, I'm, I'm really not looking forward to this. Mm. But then a day or two afterwards, we sat down and we were having a drink, and I said, well, what do you think? He said, it actually made a big difference. He said, meeting those people and people coming up and just saying a word about his dad, and he heard stories he never heard before. And he said, you know, half the time you want to cry, the other half you want to laugh. Yes, I know. And, yeah. But he said it did make a big difference. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I wouldn't be the most sociable uh, of people and I would dread those occasions as well, to be honest with you, Jasper. But, yeah, so, so other members of the family would have said that to me, that they got a lot out of the fact that they met so many people, you know? Yeah, and I think yeah. I think some people are just they're dreading the occasion. Yeah. I, I spoke with someone recently that had a wake and um, he has a bad memory. And he said, oh, Jesus, how am I going to remember all these names? <laughs> so they positioned a member of the family who would know everybody's name and their their job was to say the person's name out loud. <laughs> ah, Tom, how are you? Ah, very I'm clever. Years. Very clever. Yeah. 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 For good. But, um, in in, in but recent yeah. in recent times, um, it seems to me anyway that more and more people um, are having the wake in the home as opposed to the parlour. Now I know a lot of people still use your your, your parlour, but how how does that differ? Do you think, Jasper? Um, I think it's nicer. It's going back to the home. And like the original wakes were in the home. Mm, yeah. You know, there was there was no funeral parlor in Ireland up to really the nineteen eighties. They might have been in the cities. Mm. And then they came in. And like the funeral parlor is a good idea as well, where people don't want they can't cope with people in their home. Yes. Or the house is too small or it's just awkward or the steps or whatever. But um yeah, a lot more people are going home and having the wake at home and they get to keep the person on a lot of occasions, like uh, people would say to me, Listen, keep the first night private, don't mention that um we're bringing dad home or whatever and we yes. have that for ourselves and I think and then you know their own the close family and friends come around and they can entertain him without the formality of a funeral and the undertaker and the hearse and the you know the, all the traditions that go with it they just have their, their loved one at home and they can deal with that themselves nice and quietly then you have the official wake um, where you know you've got to be there mm. and dress up and meet and greet but it can be more informal and uh, a lot of people find that a lot easier and it makes the whole grieving process easier. 
Can you make a comparison for me to what happens in the UK? I think you have a little experience of that, Jasper. Our UK is, is, is very different to ours. Yeah. Um, it's drawn out, my, isn't it? You, you could be waiting weeks and weeks. Well, I think I think that's to do with the, the, the population and numbers. Mm. You're just waiting... Um, you just wait for your slot, mm. basically. So you could be three or four weeks. But um, I was having a chat with my cousin there a few weeks, well, a few months ago, and he's lived in in Scotland for most of his life. He's a GP over there, and he was saying, "Well, have you had any funerals on recently?" And I said, "Yeah, I've had three in the past week or fortnight or whatever." Mm. He said, "In my 35 years in Scotland, he said I've been to three funerals, and he said they were by invite." So. Um, he said, like, the, they might come in, and he said, it could be a partner a partner in the practice has lost somebody. And they might even mention the fact that somebody is dead. Or they might come in and say, well, you know, my, my dad has died, and we'd like you to attend. And, like he said, it was even bizarre when he went to one funeral. Um, somebody went around afterwards and said, uh, thank you for attending, and then turned to somebody else and said, we'll be going back to the hotel. Uh, we'd like you to come along. And they turned to somebody else and said, listen, thank you for coming. Goodbye. Like, if it is that in Ireland, you'd have a family feud going on for the next 50 years. My God, you Not, would. You would indeed, yeah. yeah. And, but I, I, heard, yeah. I remember hearing a really good one from hmm. um, a lad, a man that worked on the that worked on the motorway building in, in England back in the 70s. And there was a gang of them. They used to drink in this particular pub. Hmm. And the mother of the publican died. So the lads decided, well, we better go to the funeral. So on the day of the wake, they organised a minibus and turned up at the funeral. And the publican kind of turned around and saw them and said, lads, what are you, what are you doing here? And I said, well, we heard that your mother died and we just came to pay our respects. And she turned around and said, how dare you intrude upon my grief? Wow. So, like, <laughs> it's so different. Um, and I said, what did you do then? And she said, well, we never drank there again. That was the end of that. But um, yeah, it was but just such a different they, process. Yeah, they were doing what they would do at home or what they'd feel even to obliged to do, I suppose, at home. Oh God, yeah. Like if you didn't, sometimes if you don't turn up at a funeral, it's, it is remembered. Like I, of course it is. I have, yeah. I have seen and heard conversations where somebody said, "Well, was so and so at the funeral?" No, <laughs> quite pointed, and you know they'll remember remember that for a long time. Isn't it incredible? Are we due change, though, Jasper? And I'm just thinking about the availability of priests into the future. For example, are we due longer waits? Yes. Yeah, that's going to happen unless. Unless the church make um, provision for it and allow lay people to um, take in funerals and stuff like that, it is going to change. Again, I'll refer to an English one where um, a neighbour of mine went to, over to her cousin's funeral in Birmingham. Mm. And after the funeral, they asked the priest to come back to the hotel where they were going for a meal. And he said, thanks very much, but he said, I'm going to have to refuse. I've got seven more funerals to do today. So... That's, wow. that's going to hit us here in the next few years. Like, we've got an ageing clerical population. Mm. Um, so what you're going to find is, unless there are some changes where the lazy could take on some of the roles, um, yeah, we will be waiting longer to have funerals. We won't be able to just call up a priest and say, can we have it the burial, you know, tomorrow or the day after? Which we can still do, thankfully, in some places. Yeah, I, but, um, I, I know I've asked you this in the past, Jasper, but... You know, would you help me to understand how you, you're a cheerful fellow, you're a very entertaining fellow and all. How do you do that alongside your job where you're dealing with, okay, you're dealing with death, but you're often dealing with tragedy as well. How how do you maintain that sort of headspace? Uh, well, what, what you have to remember, Fran, is it's a job and you're helping the family get from A to Z um, as seamlessly as possible. 
So basically what you're doing is you're you're organising an event. I know it's an awful thing to say, but that's... Um, they asked David Flanagan, who would be one of the biggest undertakers in Dublin, mm. and they said, what's the difference between funerals 30, 40 years ago and now? And he said, it's event management with two days' notice. Because, you know, they yeah. might want music, yeah. they might want a band, they might want food, catering. And often in the more uh, difficult or tragic circumstances, you've got a lot more to think about. You know, you're trying to liaise with the police, you're trying to liaise with roads, neighbours, friends. There's a lot, an awful lot of um, actual work going on behind the scenes. So, you know, you're, you're thinking of that and you're, you're trying to make sure that that goes according to plan. So it kind of takes your mind off the tragic circumstances. And I suppose the other thing is I'm at it, what, I'm 55 now, so I'm at it 42 years. I started when I was 13. Um, so, yeah, yeah, initially it was, yeah, I was scared of, scared witless. But, um, you, you, must, you must have been indeed. And whenever I talk to you or my friend James Devitt, uh, for instance, as well, I really can't understand how you do what you do. But look, it's, it's amazing and so important to us all as well. Uh, Jasper, real pleasure as always. And thank you so much for, for coming on with us this morning. Thank you. No problem. Good, good morning to you. That's uh, Jasper there, Vincent Murphy, of course, undertaker at McCarthy's. Uh, wonderful funeral directors in a feather. Let me take a break back in just a tad. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie We're chatting about that study that seems to indicate that Irish-style wakes are a better way to grieve the dead. I'm glad to be joined now by my lovely friend Mary Gordon. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you doing? I'm very well, Mary. Lovely to talk to you today. You have experienced, Mary, of funerals in the UK and, needless to say, of funerals here as well. How do they compare, Mary? Oh, friend, there's there's, uh, a huge comparison. Uh, I'm trying to find an appropriate word. I uh, was in the UK for my brother-in-law's, by marriage, my brother-in-law's general many years ago, and then my mum-in-law actually was buried in the UK. And it was more like, dare I say it, I don't want to sound disrespectful, friend, but I was thinking of an appropriate phrase this morning. It was more like an assembly line, friend, very cold, very clinical. For instance, the the celebrant sort of came down in front of the family and it was a case of, I'm Mary, her daughter-in-law, I'm Brenda, her daughter-in-law, I'm Rye, her son, I'm Brendan, her son. Uh, as I said, very cold, very clinical, friend. Completely the opposite to what you'd get here. And Dublin can be a bit like that as well. I've been at numerous... I was only at one cremation ceremony in Las Nevin. And I, the whole thing, friend, you know, it just came across as being very cold is an inappropriate word, but you know what I mean? Very mm, clinical, yes, friend. Yes. It's interesting. And, and when Brendan, when your husband died, uh, Barry, uh, Brendan, did you get solace from the fact that so many people would come along and shake your hand? And so, did, did that help you? Oh, immensely, friend. Uh, Brendan passed away in Milford and um, my son, it was my son's wish and mine, but he was determined that dad spends a night at home, uh, you know, and the removal then to the church the following morning and that. Now, it was very sad, it was traumatic at the time, but it gave him and I very, uh, a lot of consolation, friend, because I think half the estate, I live in a quite a small estate, and Brendan was very full on with uh, helping out everyone. He was the chairman of the residence here at one stage, 
for a long time and even the other day a neighbour said to me every time I look at my front fence I say to Rose my wife Brendan Gordon put up that <laughs> so he was very full on yes. with the kids in the garage fixing uh, bicycles my uh, uh, wheel is puncture Brendan how does that flower grow and he'd give hours outside the dinner it'd be roasted to a crisp uh, when he'd come in for the dinner or whatever friend but uh, we got great solace in the house and consolation because as I said every neighbour I think in the place and every child formed a guard of honour at the church in Cahar Devon uh, the morning of the mass which was absolutely lovely I went round and gave each of them a hug and thanked them and it gave me so much consolation friends to think that anybody could be so respected and so loved so it gave me a lot of, of uh, consolation now to be honest and Brendan And you speak so beautifully about it so that notion of celebrating a life alongside grieving for the person Mary that that's that sums it up really doesn't it? Well it does Bren it's, I think the, the well the wakes are I suppose fizzling out a small little bit mm. but you know, I think it's all part of helping the family and the bereaved with the healing process because, you know, I know from the time Brenton died, mum and dad, uh, close family members, you know, into the church or into the funeral home the evening before to say the rosary, sit around, you know, hug one another. Mm. Mm. Then you have the removal and you have throngs of people. I've been at funerals that there's queues of people, friends, and, I mean, let's face it, people aren't coming to have a gawk or a look. They're coming to uh, sympathise and to show their sympathy and their uh, love for the person and more so the family that are bereaved. So, yeah, I think it's lovely here. It's completely different across the water. It, it, it certainly appears to be, indeed. It, it's interesting that you mentioned the, 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 the private aspect to it and, you know, having the loved one in the home. That, that was important to you for for Brendan, was it, Was it, Mary? It was very important, actually. It was my... Uh, uh, I think there's a, fun, there's a funny story to that. I won't mention the funeral home and the particular funeral home. I will never be able to thank them enough, for an, um, uh, a, a, a funny little story for your time. Um, my son, Brendan, uh, was very anxious that Dad be brought home from the hospice to the house for a night. And... As I said, as traumatic as it was, uh, when I arranged it with the funeral home, uh, the gentleman in question, uh, I think, had to leave the country or was flying out of the country. And I remember his ma'am drove in the hearse and did the necessary. And my son at the time, being my son, as all young lads would say, friends, she can fairly drive a hearse. Uh, So we had a great laugh about that. And she went to the ends of the earth, friends, uh, the gentleman's mother that runs the funeral home but um, it was also funny because I remember when I actually was trying to get the widow's pension she, they were so kind to me the way the rally drowned and everyone I know um, I kept saying to her you know Mrs. Blank I really need the rundown of the funeral cost not at all your grand your grand that'll do in a couple of months time and I was there no, but I really need it because I won't get it yes, uh, yes. unless I show the necessary documents, bloody blah. So uh, she came in one night. She says, I'll come in some night to Limerick. She drove in from Nina. We'll have a cup of tea and we'll start all that out. And they went to the ends of the earth for me, friends. So, you know, the way people rally around, neighbours, you know, uh, bringing in the buns, the tarts. Do you need anything at the shop? My sister's 
and my son, they just rallied around mm. my family. You know, I didn't have to go to the shop, friend. You know, you tell us what you need. They made endless cups of tea, coffee, all sat around. We cried, we laughed, and it was lovely. And they got me through, and Brendan, young Brendan, a very hard time. And tell me this, Mary, because a lot of people make this point. OK, you're surrounded by all of that, you know, wonderful help and uh, the wonderful support from a community. But at some stage or other, Mary, you have to close your front door and you're left with your own grief then. So I'm just wondering, for the sake of discussion, is this just postponing the private grief in some way? Well, it is. It's important to have the rallying around, friend, at the time. But there comes a time then, I mean, I was working at the time in the maternity here in Limerick and I dreaded coming home in the evening, friend, because... um, the garage door in our place would always be open. There was a wheel off a bike, there was a puncture, there was a saddle crooked, there was spokes gone wrong, and he would be full on. He was very full on. And I found that the most lonesome feeling, turning the corner, friend, but the support I had from, from my family and still do to this day, uh, and it's a lonesome time of the year, being the month that's in it and Christmas coming up and that, but... The private grief is the hardest part of it, friend. And people will say it, you know, they're in the minority, I have to say. But if I had a penny, I said this to you before, with a, a very few small people now, uh, or uh, I shouldn't say small people, a very few people that said to me, oh, I'll call now, you don't drive. I was only learning to drive at the time, friend. He was teaching me. And, you know, I'll call and we'll go out for a bit of tea or we'll go out for a drive or we'll go here or go there. Now... They're in the minority, but uh, it never happened, friend. But then people have to, you know, you have to dust off. Uh, grief is just love with nowhere to go, friend. That's the way I see it. It's a, lo- a lovely way to put it, uh, Mary. Um, and just because I need to say I'm running out of time, but there was a story you told me one time, though, Mary, that always stays with me, is that you went and got your hair done at one stage after losing Brendan. And oh, you, ca- I know you, story. you came out onto the footpath and you made somebody... Will you just remind us of that remark that was made to you? I will. I was after going in... We always went to O'Connor's in Thomas Street for our breakfast. It's closed down now, friend. Brendan would have the fry. I'd have the fry. He'd go to the market uh, in, in Limerick and I'd go off to get the hair done. And I met it... He, I think he was buried sort of midweek. And the following Saturday morning, I said, Now, Mary, he'd want you to have the brekkie. I went into the restaurant... And your man said to me inside, table for one. And it was like hitting me with a, a steamroller friend. But I came out onto the street to get to the point. I ramble, as you know. And I met this lady that I knew quite well. And she said to me, Jesus, I, I nearly passed out. Well, would you look at your woman with the hair done? I knew you'd be fine. Now, she might as well have kicked me in the gut, friend. Now... As I said, she's in the minority because people have been tremendous and they're still rallying and have my back. But it was grief all over again, friend, because I felt like saying to her, and I'm well capable, you know, for blank sake, you haven't a clue what's going on in here, uh, in my heart. I'm torn asunder. I got my hair done to be presentable in case I met anyone in town and to make me feel a little bit better. But was a gut-wrenching statement, friend. But people don't think. I think I I brushed it off and I said, ah, oh, well, she have to carry on. And I made some stupid remark back to her. But now I've seen her since. And I sort of, good morning, how are you? Great to see you sort of thing, but good luck. Uh, 
it stings to this day, but you look at it, you just have to carry on, friend light. Mary, it's always a delight to talk to you, and I wish you well, Mary. Thanks very much for coming on with me this morning. Thank, Thank you. you so much, friend. Thanks, Lovely Mary. to talk to you. Thank you. Bye bye, Jan. That's Mary bye-bye. Gordon uh, speaking to us. I will take a break back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now in stories from the heart of Ireland, 58 different writers from around the country tell their stories of hope and inspiration. The billionaire John Magner uh, shares the simple truth of what determines the quality of our lives. Uh, the great Tommy Fleming, who will speak to in just a while, shows that no matter how badly things go wrong, there's always a way back. The multi-million selling author Kathy Kelly shares a very personal story of love and family. Now, the book has been compiled by the author and broadcaster Brendan Power in aid of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and I'm really glad to say that Brendan is with me in, in studio. Good morning to you, Brendan. Good morning, Fran, and thank you very much for letting us talk about the book. Very, very, very welcome indeed. Why did you decide to compile this book for Make-A-Wish, Brendan? Well, I've got a slight a bit of a history with Make-A-Wish. I suppose most of us know about Make-A-Wish, but not too many of us know actually what it does. I learned firsthand. My granddaughter had a brain tumour. Um, Make-A-Wish very kindly took her to Lapland, where she met Father Christmas. Uh, by the way, not just met Father Christmas, the real one. The real one. She told me when she came back, and it must have been right because... Two weeks later, Christmas Day, all the presents she asked for were under the tree. So therefore, it must have been the real one she met. And they are, Make-A-Wish are really quite amazing. Yes. I saw it again um, in Dublin not so very long ago. I was up there with my wife. We were staying in a hotel. There was a couple at the table beside us with a couple of children. We started talking to them and we discovered that the young lad was there through Make-A-Wish. He was a, a gamer. And apparently in Dublin there is a very famous gamer who's known worldwide and he wanted to meet him, so Make-A-Wish arranged it for him. And he was... We actually got up early the next morning to see him leave when the limousine came to pick him up. They didn't need the limousine, by the way. He could have flown. He was five feet off the air as he was... uh, is there. Is the, is the marvellous. Yeah, can I compliment you on your own story about your granddaughter in the book? Because to be honest with you, I found it absolutely heartbreaking indeed as you went along with the story and sadly she, she passed away then. But how you tell that story, and particularly for her parents, I mean, heartbreaking stuff. Oh. Particularly the decision that they had to make towards the end. Uh, a terrible decision. Not one that I could have made, I don't think. Yes. But yeah, Neve went through three brain operations in a course of 18 months. In the last of those, she also suffered a stroke and so she had to learn to walk again and everything. Kept smiling all the way through, fortunately. Um, Then it returned. The tumour returned. The surgeon said he was prepared to do another operation. He said, but I would be doing it for you and not for her. It wouldn't improve the quality of her life. In fact, it might do the opposite. And Simon and Marie, her parents, had a a terrible decision to make. I don't know how anybody could have made it. I was so proud of them. Uh, They decided not to have the operation, um, but to let Neve live out the rest of her life without inflicting any further trauma. Would you tell it? I mean, I don't want to give away too much of of, uh, the story, but uh, because of the stroke, her arm was disabled. Will you tell me about the prayer? Because I... (laughs) 
yeah. As a dad yeah. myself, I couldn't couldn't get over that. Tell me about the prayer. Yeah, all the way through her illness, she, Neve just smiled all the time. And maybe I was living in a dream world and I didn't really believe it was as bad as it was. She never complained, never once. But she was over with us in Feather-on-Sea down in Wexford. And uh, every night I would read a story. And then this one night, I don't know why, but I just said to her, uh, do you want to say a prayer? You know, but just use your own words. We'll say a prayer together. And she said, yeah. And she said, dear God, please make my arm work like the other one. It's the first time I'd ever heard her say anything for herself. My God, oh my it, it was terrible. But, but what an inspirational young young lady! Oh, she she, she is. What what age was she when she passed away? Nine. Nine. It was just six weeks or so after her ninth birthday. My God! Yeah. When you decided to compile the stories from various different people, were you surprised at what you got? Yes, mm. it's a short answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was surprised and pleased because I wrote to a lot of people, yourself included, and said, you know, would you help out? Could you do a story? Now, there were some people who came back to me and said, I'm sorry, I can't because time pressure for one thing. They felt they didn't have a story which would be suitable. Now, that's perfectly understandable. That's fine. But the people who did come through with stories, you mentioned earlier there, Tommy, Tommy Fleming, yeah. Um, yeah. Kathy Kelly... Uh, even the chief of staff for the defence forces, General Clancy, yeah. you know, so many, um, John Magnier. Um, it's funny, when I went to the publisher and we, we looked at all the stories, he said, how on earth did you get John Magnier to do a story? Yes. And I said, I used an age-old trick. I asked. Yes. <laughs> and it worked. Too. And, you know, it certainly comes across in John's story, but I think, in fairness, right throughout all of the stories... Even very well-known people, they're vulnerable, aren't they? Oh, yes. You know, yeah. There's a vulnerability there that... At, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, where you're from. You are a person. Yes. You know, you, you still have to uh, eat and drink. You have to work. You have to do everything around. So we're all just people. And we look at people, we hold them up on a pedestal, and quite rightly sometimes for various things they do. But underneath that, they're just normal people. If you read Tommy Fleming's story, you know, it's great to sit there in a big arena. He's down in Wexford. I'll be seeing him in February at the uh, Opera House. We see him and we see him on stage and we, we look and we think, that's brilliant. Mm. But read his story and you'll find uh, out he's just an ordinary incredible. person. Well, let's, uh, let's talk to him right now because he's online with us. Tommy, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Brendan. How are you? How good morning, you, Tommy. And, uh, Tommy, you're very welcome back because I know you were in Australia for quite a long time. You must be still jet-lagged, are you? I'm, I'm a bit... I don't know which side of me is up at the moment. And, and now, I have a, now I have a chest infection and a head cold, oh, which isn't God. helping. But look at these things happen. When you're, on, when you're on a plane so many times and you meet so many people... Something's bound to something's bound to give, as they say, you know. I suppose, but, um, indeed. Well, congratulations on your story in uh, the stories from the heart of Ireland, Tommy. Because I thought I knew your story about the accident, for example, but the detail in here, and what you actually went through, and how career-threatening it was, I couldn't get over. You know, it's funny, um, and I was just listening to you and Brendan talk there, and <clears throat> when when I got the letter through from. In the, in the office that Brendan had sent the, or the email and I thought oh god my story isn't good enough for that book um, you know what did I do 
was the kind of the attitude I had. And Tina, my wife, turned around and said, <clears throat> talk about something that has really affected you. So I said, look, I'll tell it in my words. It's not going to be flowered up in any shape or form. And I told it. And, I, you know, it's funny. It's something Brendan said there. You know, we're all human. And, you know, I do a job. You do a job. Everybody does their job. And as my dad, my late dad used to say, but we all get up in the morning and put our trousers on one leg at a time. Yes. So we're all, we're all the same. You know, there's, there's nothing, doesn't, doesn't matter what we go through. doesn't matter what job we do. We're no better or no worse than anybody else. So that's kind of, that's what drove me to, to write the story. And many people would know the kind of backbone of the story. Mm. I'd never really tell the inside of it and where my head was at and how how flawed and how, not so much flawed, but how fragile and precarious the whole thing had become when after the accident. And, and that's you're, you're very upfront in the story and you say you felt unstoppable at this stage. I mean, your career had gone from strength to strength. You worked with Coulter, you worked with Day Danon, there was Carnegie Hall, there was all of this. Tommy was on the rise and then this happened. This happened and I... Can you believe it's 25 years ago next week? Is it indeed? Wow. It is, yeah. And, wow. um, you know, I was... I think the worst part of all of that was when I, I was uh, rushed from uh, Mayo General Hospital to uh, Spinal Unit in Dublin in the Matter Hospital, which I have to praise so much. And I, I will never forget these two specialists coming out to me after my uh, surgery telling me that um, I had broken my neck I broke my neck in three places and that there is an 80 to 85% possibility I won't walk again. And my sister, Cathy, my oldest sister, Cathy, was with me. And I will always remember, and obviously I'm not going to use the language on the radio, but I will always remember turning around to these two very highly educated, qualified men, telling them, don't be beep, 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 so stupid. (laughs) 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 And I think that's when my determination kicked in, that... I don't care what somebody tells me. I'm going to find my way around it. Um, and yes, it was. It was a. It was an awful time. It was almost two years of recuperation, of recovery, of not knowing what was going to happen. <clears throat> and I will always remember a few years after that, turning around, saying to somebody, "When I look back on it, I look back on it in a strange way because it's the best thing that ever happened to me." Why do you say that, Tommy? Because I learned to separate the wheat from the chaff very quickly. As in, the people that were hanging around me, I was only useful to them while I was well, while I was good, while I could perform. Um, and the people that stuck by me and saw me through it were the people that I, I some of them I still have around me, uh, on my team, on that work with me. Um, I just I learned at a very young age, at 27, I suppose, which isn't that young, but I learned at 27 the people that I could trust, the people that I needed, the people that were, or the people that were important to me. It's a, and, and all of that is in the story as well. And, and again, you and I would have mentioned the accident in, in the past, but I didn't realise how dramatic it was. I mean, the car burst into flames shortly after you coming out through the, the window of the car, and then you had to walk miles in the state you were in. I didn't walk, actually. I crawled. <laughs> I don't remember that one. And I think it was the first time I ever believed in angels because I think my grandmother saved me. Um, 
I had a broken neck. Um, a bro- my shoulder was dislocated. I had a broken wrist, several broken ribs. Um, I was a bit beaten up. Let's put it that way. <laughs> And Brendan, I am, um, but I, I, you know, the right, the, the stars aligned. There was a, a couple that I knew from that lived down the road from my parents' house. They picked me up. They brought me home. Um, and only for I had a major gash in my forehead, uh, which I still have the scar of to this day. My Harry Potter scar, I call it. Um, my sister insisted that I should go to the hospital, so she drove me, which was the stupidest thing I could have done. Drove me, me sitting in the front seat, a car shaking all over the place, God. with three vertebrae broken um, in my upper neck. And then that's when they x-rayed it and said, we need to airlift him to Dublin. And that's, I suppose that's when all the drama started, really. And um, from there I had, from there it was just a, a road, a long, long road to recovery. And and it's funny, I I still look back on it and I don't, I don't shudder, I don't cringe, I don't have that fear. I just look back on it and go, things could have been worse. I look at many people have had far worse outcomes of things like that. And I'm one of the lucky ones that I can, that I was able to board a plane in Sydney last last Saturday or Sunday morning and fly home without any assistance. That I was able to do, that I was able to tour Australia for the last two months and not have a problem. That I'm able to... I was able to walk down to the gym from my apartment in Sydney and work out. I was able to do all of those things. And there's not a day that I don't look back or think that it could have always been different or worse. And I was delighted the way you credited your parents for your recovery as well and how vital they were to you. And of course, then, as we know, subsequently, you lost them, unfortunately, on the on the same day, Tommy. But uh, they, they were vital to you, weren't they? They were extremely vital to me. And that's another reason I always say it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I moved out of home when I was 18. I was a kid. I was an 18-year-old who thought I knew everything. I was an 18-year-old whose parents were annoying him and they were embarrassing to me, <laughs> like all our 18-year-olds probably. Um, and I moved out and I was working in Dublin. I was working in different places. I lived in London for a while. And, and <clears throat> when the accident happened, um, there was nobody living at home with my parents. They were everyone had flown the nest because I'm the youngest of six. But the conditions of me being um, able to discharge from the spinal unit was that I had to be somewhere that that somebody could take care of me. So that meant leaving Dublin, which was I had a great life in Dublin. I thought as a 27 year old mm. madman, mm. I had to leave Dublin, uh, let my flat go, let all of that go, and to move back in with my parents, which the prospect at the time was far worse than the accident as a 27-year-old. And I lived with my mum and dad for almost two years uh, while they helped me recuperate. And it was funny, like, they killed me with kindness. My mother fed me every 20, 20 minutes. <laughs> um, my my dad, because I was finding sleeping pills and other medications very, very severe, I could, you know, I just thought, I, I was always groggy with them, so I'd stop using them. So my dad would make me hot touching at night to help me sleep so I was turning into a fat alcoholic because of the two of them. but I the one thing I've always said was I got to have those two years with them on my own and I got to know them and I got to I got to so much respect them and their opinion and their, their story and their, their life and I would never have known that had the accident not happened so I, I always find you know me with this friend I always find the half full glass and things yeah. 
yeah. and that I find a positive side to something. And that's one of the biggest outcomes and positive outcomes that I had from the accident. I got to spend two years with my mum and dad and live with them uninterrupted and got to know them. I got to watch crap daytime television with my mother and I got to watch sports programs with my dad um, and all of that. And, you know, I remember that program, Martin Marcus, when it was yes. about Cassie Price. Yes. I, had to, I had to endure that program every night <laughs> that was on because I had no choice. Oh, that's and great. They're the, they're the stories that, that, you know, out of out of adversity comes some good, and that was that was it. Well, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to write the story for Brendan when he sent when he when he requested it. Well, it's a marvelous story. That's that's for sure. You're coming. You're coming to see us here in the next few weeks, aren't you? In uh... I am. I'm coming down to Racket Hall. Um, I, I didn't even expect to have dates been mentioned, so I don't know. You'd have to look them up there for me. Yeah. I don't even know what date I'm down. Um, I'm in Racket Hall, and I'm in um, Saint Clown Mary's Church, in Clonmel. Uh, Saint as Mary's well. in yes. In Ireland. Yes. So. But look, congratulations, Brendan, on a, on a fantastic book. You know, my my story is not even a it's not even a, a pebble on the road compared to what your story and you, you your family might, story. You is. might well it's think just, so, Tommy, but your story is very inspiring. Very. In I was with somebody the other day who was also in a car crash. A young lad who's got a story in there, James Saunders, and he's read your story, and he was inspired by it as well. So, well, thank you. That's that's thank lovely you. to hear. But I just. I just thought I, I, I just wanted to put my toughness worst, as my mum used to say, into it. And if it, if it helps in any shape or form, it does. And for the for the listeners, the book is fantastic. There's, it's one of those books that it's not it's not so much that you can't put it down, but it's one of those books when you do put it down, you reach over and pick it up again. It's that yeah. it's, it's 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 for the coffee table. It's it's, it's certainly when you're sitting indeed. there and you're just just flicking through it and you can read. There's one. One story doesn't correlate or connect to the other. So you can just read the story you want to read and then all of a sudden, before you realise it, you've read every story. Well, Tommy, a delight to talk to you today. I know you're a little under the weather, so we appreciate your time. And, of course, you, you, always good to talk to you, Tommy. Thank you Listen, so much. Not at all, friend. Thanks. And congratulations again, Brendan, and the best, best of luck. Thank you, Tommy. I'm sure it's going to be a massive, massive success. Thank you so much indeed for that. What about people picking up the book then, Brendan? Where Where can they get it? Um, any of the any of the major bookshops, uh, Fran. If uh, if it's raining and they don't want to go out to the shop, they can always go on to the Make a Wish website, Make a Wish Island website, and there's a, a section on there called Buy Gifts, and the book is on there as well. So, yeah, but any of any of the big bookshops, they'll have it. Well, it's a, it's a marvelous piece, and as I say, I couldn't put it down when I when I picked it up. Just like uh, Tommy explains there. Great to see you, Brendan. We wish you well. Thanks. Thank very you much very indeed. much. Thank you. The book is called Stories from the Heart of Ireland: uh, Sixty-One Stories of Inspiration and Hope. It's compiled by Brendan Power there, and it's in aid of the Make a Wish Foundation. Tonight, August and Olds have chucked. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome along to the final hour of tip today. I just want to say that Tommy Fleming got me through a very tough time in my life, Fran. Uh, like he said, um, 
I got to know who was who and what was what. I heard his story of the accident at the time. I played his music and I thought of his words and I came out the other side. So thank you, Tommy, is the message. You're a legend, says one of our listeners. Um, uh, Good morning, Fran. I remember my father telling me that I had to go to a funeral on a certain day because he said that the family of the dead uh, person will never be able to remember everyone who turns up to pay their respects, but they will certainly remember the people who didn't turn up. And that plays into my conversation with uh, Jasper a little earlier on in the programme as well. Um, Listen, says I lost both my parents during COVID and it was very traumatic, I think, too, that wakes are a time when families gather apart from weddings and it's a time for tales to be told, says a listener. Somebody is saying, I always remember a story uh, at a wake when the busybody of the neighbourhood passed a comment to my mother, doesn't she look great? And so on. My mother being upset and had enough of her said, how would she look great? She's dead for God's sake and in a coffin. So, there you go. That's into us on 083 Now we're with you of course every single uh, weekday morning from nine. We spoke to Mary during the nine o'clock hour uh, this morning who told us about the state of our health service as far as she was concerned and what she sees as the steady decline in services available to sick people in this country. Here's a little of what Mary had to say after nine o'clock. I have sat in, in GP's waiting rooms and I have seen three and four people sitting in the waiting room and I have not seen them busy. I, what I see is now, okay, most GPs now are companies. They're, they're not the family GP days dead and gone. Yes, there's so clinics that involves several clinics, GPs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so therefore it's not about probably years ago it was about as much money as they could get in and as much patience that you could get. But now it, I think it's about as little work for as much money. As well as that, we have the charges that are going to insurance companies from hospitals. Mm. I've seen them. They are just absolutely crazy. Mm. I mean, a hospital gets 30,000 for four weeks, a person in a hospital for four weeks. I think that's crazy. And if you look... And is that private uh, hospitals you're talking about now? I'm talking about public hospitals. Mm. I've seen the bills. 30,000 for four weeks in a hospital. And, um, the, I mean... You're asked for your insurance the minute you go in the door, no matter how sick you are. And if you go through, I've gone through, I've itemised bills. And I've seen charges for things that never happened, for consultants that were never by the bedside. Uh When it's all junior doctors. I've been in A&E recently. Kids are running A&Es. And, still, and if you're and over still 70, we're, we've, God help you. And still we're bailing out for this year 1 billion euro of a bailout. On top of their budget. So one billion euro of a bailout. Well, there's no other country in Europe the same population getting as much, spending as much money. And that's Mary who spoke to me this morning about the state of our health service. Now, speaking of health, uh, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Muriel Cuddy of Morito 8020. Good morning to you, Muriel. Um, Did I see you shaking your head there at one one point uh, during that? You, You were also telling me that the UK, they have... A lot of issues over there Yeah, as well. we've been, we screen, you know, we screen and companies or whatever. And yeah, so Belfast, the North would have that system or whatever. And we were told like, what, it's 12 weeks of a waiting list just to get your blood results back. Um, even to get an appointment, you literally start ringing at nine in the morning. And when you get through, if you're lucky enough to get through, you might get an appointment. But you can't automatically just ring up and say, can I book in at such a time? So... It's not like we're not as bad down here, I think, as what we actually thought we were. Yeah. But like I said to you, Fran, it's the preventative side. That's literally, don't get sick if you can. 
Right, and uh, that's the message that should be out there all of the time. Before we start, because I know you want to talk to us about mindful eating and all of that today, but can I bring you into the conversation around salt? Because uh, Luke O'Neill, God knows the abuse... (laughs) The abuse that came in about Luke O'Neill was incredible. But anyway, he is advocating that we go down the road of Montevideo in Uruguay, uh, where the salt cellar is taken off the restaurant table. In fact, it's banned in restaurants and also things like ketchup and the like as well. How, how do you feel about that? I think it's funny. I think um, to do things like that in Ireland, we're going back to where, like everything else we do, we're adults. I think if you want salt, you're going to find salt. Like, if you want salt and you're going to eat out for a meal, you probably bring the couple of sachets inside in your pocket. Yes. Like, I was in a restaurant the other day and there was a couple of women there and they were having a great conversation. It was in the evening time and I was sitting there and I was by myself, I was staying away or whatever. And I was listening, they were organising a trip to Dublin or somewhere anyway and they put all the work in the world into where they were going on the Christmas trip and the bus, for this she needs a wheelchair and she needs whatever. And then they were getting up to go and one of the girls said to the other girl, she said, uh, you know, now Mary, she said, these sachets are really handy and she put the tomato sauce, whatever it was, into the handbag and she looked across at me and she winked and smiled <laughs> and off they went. It's exactly the same with the salt. You'll have them in the end of your handbag. You know, they'll come. You'll, you'll use it. If you feel you need it and you're spending 90 or 100 euro out for a meal, you'll bring it with you. Right. It's the responsible side of the other side, which I'm surprised at with Luke, that he's not saying, why don't we educate on how much salt everybody needs every day? Yeah, like in fairness to maybe he does make that point. I maybe, don't know, but what yeah. made the headlines was the notion the other piece. of salt, yeah. Again, it's telling us what we can and can't do. Mm. There's no point telling people what they can and can't do. Like, if you're told you can't do it, you'll probably do it anyway, yeah, just in spite of people. And, so, and salt, the dangers of too Oh, much like salt. high blood pressure. There's so yeah. many different things. Like, and I'm, I see it. Like, I had a guy, I call him the noodle guy, actually. So, the guy yesterday, and I was doing a one to one with him, and he couldn't understand. He was with me. He's been with me since last February, but then there was a gap in between. Came in, and his blood pressure when he started was 167 over, I think, 111 or something. Um, we got it down, so he was perfect in the middle. And came in yesterday, and it was actually higher than when he started. And he said, But I'm doing everything you ask. Muriel, I'm whatever, um, all of wheat picks for breakfast and all of that kind of thing. But when I delved into it, like he was having Thai noodle soup, soup or something out of a restaurant for his lunch. Um, he was having gravies and soya sauces and things like that. They were the only different things really that he was doing. Full of salt. Full of salt. So the amount of salt or sodium that was in him was increasing his blood pressure. So we've taken all of them out. Guaranteed in the next month or so you'll actually see mm. that his blood pressure will come back and it'll stabilise again. It's interesting so. with that because I, I use pot noodles every so often but yeah. a lady was telling us yesterday they're lethal. They're because rubbish. They're, they're yeah. tired. They're, 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 oh, they're awful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and lots of salt. And, and so and much and sugar, salt think, and everything. Yeah. You know, what they should do in restaurants and if they did I would look at it and I think a lot of people would it mightn't stop you having what you want but at least you know in your head what's in it. So if they put like the calories, the sugar, the salt the few different things like the saturated fat pieces the piece that I'm talking about here every day you look at it and from me talking about it then you see it in a restaurant then you see it somewhere else so if they've done small changes all the time of different things it's habit it's the education piece of the drip feed that constantly on you definitely goes in Mm. so if somebody has high blood pressure they have an issue or they have diabetes automatically if you have diabetes you're pre-diabetic you're going to look at the sugars and something so automatically if you have high blood pressure you'll look at the salt content and you'll decide yourself that you're not going to put the salt on it right so that wouldn't help as far as you're concerned no I don't think so no I don't think so talk to us about mindful uh, eating then Um, even though after your appearance on the show last week I was almost going to axe this slot because the embarrassment of it afterwards I I played for a dancing casual that night and (laughs) loads of the women came up and said it wasn't me it wasn't me that had that problem 
and I got killed as well. Yeah, that's good. Every single person that came through the clinic said it to me. But my youngest said, "Have you ever mentioned me again?" So I actually, they actually got on to me last night during while the jungle thing was on. Um, they started at it again. So I said to Rocco, who's fourteen, "You're next." And he said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "All the things teenagers shouldn't do in relation to like toilet seats and whatever." So he said, "You, you embarrass me, ma'am." Definitely, or whatever. But anyway, it's not what it's about. Yeah, and Fran, everybody does it, so you have to admit. Right. I'm admitting nothing. <laughs> okay. So, mindless mindful eating. eating. Yes. Mindful, mindless. Where this has come about is Christmas has come back further and further back into November over the last whatever couple of years I'm looking at Christmas trees and I'm literally going oh my god like this is still only the 22nd or 3rd of November right and somebody said to me yesterday she was a client she said her partner has already started putting out the Christmas food so he had a bowl for sweets and she said it actually took now I know the tins are getting smaller but it took five tins of celebrations or roses or whatever to fill the bowl with sweets now she said he doesn't eat sweets the only one in the house she said is this Egypt here that every time she passes him she puts her hand in she takes the sweet so it's, it's literally remember I said you the BLT yeah. is bite lick taste uh-huh. nothing no innuendo or anything there if anybody's listening after last week it literally means once you bite into something you lick taste it all matters every mm. lick every bite every taste matters within the body and I think if we start doing this mindless eating now it's literally it's when the person when you're distracted when you're not aware of how much food you're putting into your body that's what affects the health marker side so like right. that's the piece that we have to start now say it's like for all the world you know you're sitting on the couch you have something really nice say mm. t- t- say it's a bag of chips on a Friday night or whatever mm-hmm. telly's on you're watching telly you have the glass of wine you're eating away the chips and you're drinking your wine next thing is you actually by the third last chip you realise Jesus this is lovely and then you've only two left and you look into the bag and you don't remember eating the other ones. And you're like, they're all gone. Why Is that because you were distracted while you were Completely you're distracted, okay. yeah. That's right. the mindless eating mindless piece. Mindless eating, yeah. So, like, if the sweets and the stuff is around now and we do the mindless eating piece, like, we're supposed to... You know, I hate talking about calories, mm. but I think when it comes to Christmas time, you actually have to start focusing in a little on how much you're actually putting into your body because I've no problem with people putting the wrong stuff in, especially closer to Christmas, Mm. but you have to watch how much of it you're putting in because if you do it over, like, say, Christmas Eve to, like, whatever, four or five days, eat and drink what you like. But if you start doing it now, you're going to come into January and you're going to be unwell because you're literally putting dirty oil into the car or, like, petrol into a diesel engine or whatever and you're doing it over a prolonged period of time. And like, you know, I talk about, say, a woman needs 2,000 calories a day, mm. basically. Probably 1,600 if she's sedentary, that she's not moving. A man needs two and a half, possibly 2,000 if he's not moving, right? So if you pick something, say, like a rose of sweet has 50 calories, you put four in without even thinking of it. There you've 200 calories straight away. One sweet? One sweet, yeah. 50 you calories. You love the calorie piece, don't you, Fran? I do, I have yeah. a calorie piece here. Well, only because but it like, destroys my life. That's but, literally, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, I just ruined Fran's life every yeah. Thursday, but yeah. anyway. You have to have somebody to pick you up after. <laughs> Glass of wine tonight. Yes, I think so, yeah. But like, s- simple things like, and I was just looking at it, like say, a Christmas, a slice of Christmas cake, a small slice of Christmas cake is 200 calories. A Ferrero Rocher is 75. A mince oh, pie is 300. Stop, stop, stop. So I'm just talking about bites of things. So like, yes, Christmas week, do it in abundance any way you like. But like, if you start doing it now, so every day you have a mince pie with cream, you're talking about 500 calories on top of your normal day. Do you know what I mean? One mince pie, mince pie with cream, cream yeah. 500 calories. Yeah, yeah. So that's a quarter of your daily. Yes, yeah. And say like over Christmas, if you want to have things to drink, of course you can have things to drink. But if you're looking at like the um, cocktails and stuff coming in already, then you're looking at like 800 calories in comparison to like 50 calories in a vodka. So like you've got to pick 
and and be mindful. The mindful piece is the biggest piece. Like, you know, the savour of what you're eating, savour the flavour of eating right, that kind of thing. So you actually, mm. like, stop and say to yourself, right, OK, instead of doing the mind less, that I'm actually completely tuned out and it's just, it's a habit. The emotional side might drive it, whatever might drive it, doesn't really matter. Pick the other side. It was the um, year of this, this year's theme in the nutrition world was savour the flavour of eating right. So savour the flavour of eating right is literally to experience to make us experience, I suppose, food traditions in different ways. So it's the pleasure of food, the great flavours of food, the great experiences of food, what it can bring to our lives. I love food. Mm. I say it all the time, the power of food. I light up when I talk about food. Mm. I'm in this world because I love food, but I love nice food. And when I eat wrong, which I do, like the taco chip and all of that kind of thing, Mm. I feel awful after it. I can do it and that's not a problem. But if I start doing it now and I start picking and I start doing all of that, by the time I come to Christmas time, I'm just going to be in a state. Right. Did, so, did you actually say that one cocktail was 800 calories? Yeah. Or did I Yeah, yeah, like incorrectly? a Long Island iced tea is 800 calories. Margarita is 740. Pina colada is 640, something along those lines. White Russian, 400 and something. Like, yeah, all of them. Like, But now, you know the decent ones and people are afraid of and they say you can't have that. Like... A Bailey's coffee, because they only use a half a portion of Bailey's, like, is only like 70 to 100 calories. So you could actually enjoy something like that. And, you know, it's nice. Mulled wine. People have this thing against mulled wine. Sometimes it's mm. full of sugar, whatever. Mm. It still has only about 100 calories. You're getting a smaller portion. It lasts longer. It's nice and warm. And the cloves that are in it, they're really good for your digestive system. Really good for constipation and for wind. Don't start up again about yeah. wind, will you, for God's sake? Yeah. But, but if we were aware of all of this, we would sort of. That's what I'm saying about Dr. Luke O'Neill. Yeah. If the things were written down, but I'm trying to make people aware, as in, there's a practice of mindful eating, right? If you pick something, so say, like they say, if you pick a raisin, right? So if you were dropped on earth and the first thing that was put in front of you was a raisin, so you knew nothing about the world or tables or chairs or whatever, this was just put down in front of you, right? Mm. And you were told to pick up this. And, and, and look at it and see what you were going to do with it. So you looked at it and you picked it up and you felt the weight of it, right? And you were looking at like the structure of it and all of that, the surface, the ridges, the shiny parts and all the bits. Then you automatically, as a human, you smell it mm. and you see what the smell is like. And then the smell is okay, so you actually realise, yeah, that looks okay, maybe I can taste it. So you, you literally roll it around your fingers and you push it. You hear the sound, first of all, so you're talking about the five senses or whatever. Then you notice what you're feeling about the object. You push it between your lips. You feel the, the, the sensation there. You hold it for a few minutes. Then you literally start, when it rolls into your mouth, you literally start to, um, what do you call it? What's the word I'm looking for? Salivate. Uh, yes. Straight yes. away, literally. So you know then you want to eat it. So you bite it. And then right. you, you chew down it. And then you start to notice what you're chewing, etc. You let it liquefy. Then you swallow it and you close your eyes to notice the experience of it. Now, that's just one reason. And they just say, that's the awareness. Like, it actually teaches you, do you like it? Do you dislike That's what a baby does. That's the mindful piece of a baby. Like, they'll actually, they feel things. You see them. Yeah, They're but like, sure, if I'm to go down that road and if I taste uh, a Ferrero Rocher, sure, I'm going to be delighted with myself and I'm going to eat, like, ten of them. I give up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, but... I know, I know exactly what you're talking about, but okay. you have to know, how are you eating? What, when are you eating? Now, like, you know if you, if you binge... Yes. Like, and we talk about intermittent fasting and we talk about three meals a day or whatever. So if you're a person that binges, you have to realise, take away the triggers first of all or eat like three times a day. So if you're coming into Christmas time, will you please eat breakfast and lunch at least and eat loads of protein and things like that? Like four slices of turkey has like, what, 300 calories? Not even, like 200 or something like that, yeah. Like a couple of slices of ham, 300 calories. Things. Eat loads of protein. Eat loads of essential fat. You're sated then. 
that even if your hand does go out for something, like give it a slap and say to yourself, stop, I don't actually need that. That's the mindful piece I want to do more so today than the other piece. Mm. It's like, be aware of all the rubbish and God knows what that's around. This is only the 22nd of November or 23rd of right. November or whatever. Like, we have a full month to go to Christmas time. And if we start now, we haven't a hope. Right, one of our listeners on to say, I eat everything, good and bad. The last time I spoke to a doctor was 33 years ago. I never had a sick day off work. Variety is the spice of life. But now that I think of it, I don't have a sweet tooth. And maybe that has uh, stood to me. I'm very grateful for my health when I hear the state of the health service. That's an interesting one, isn't it? So that's somebody never going to a doctor. Yeah, but you see, you heard the word there, sugar, right? I've had... I don't have a sweet tooth. Four or five people um, have come through this week, right? Um, a normal conventional diet focuses on rules. What to eat, how much to eat, you know, and portion sizes, all of this. They're putting rules around you, right? Mm. Mindful eating isn't that. I do the mindful eating piece every single day because I talk about the health side. Mm. So I'm like, forget about that side. Let's just put together decent food that works for you. Let's remove sugar, let's whatever. We focus on the health side. That's then when you start becoming mindful about what you're eating and you know you don't have to focus on certain things, you're driving it from the health side, it works for you. I had four people in this week that said to me, they were back on their two-week, two-week um follow-up or whatever, Mm. right? That they just couldn't believe how much sugar they had in their diet. And they were just in a state that they were actually comparing themselves to alcoholics in relation to like when they had to take it out, how many different things it was in and how much of it they were actually having every day. I I know how they feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like that's the mindful side and the mindlessness. That person is healthy because they don't have the sugar. And I know they've said they eat every single thing and for the last three years Mm. they're healthy. I bet they're not eating ultra, ultra processed food. Anyone that follows me on um, social media, on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever, I was heading to Belfast on Sunday and we went into the filling station at Lusk or one of those places and literally stood inside the door. And when I turned to my left, instead of walking straight to the counter where they have normally have just one aisle in front of you of sweets, they actually had the aisles that you were going through a maze. Yeah, Fran, that's I, in most of them now, in fact. I yeah. videoed it. I got so much reaction. It was just, I literally, if I had the boys in the car, I couldn't bring them in there unless I was going to let them buy rubbish because there was no way, there was Mm. nothing else. Well, they were completely confronted by it. You were literally, you started, but there was everything. You had the American candy. You like, you had your sherbets, then you had your chocolate, then you had your crisps, they had slushies, they had like all the um, Mm. sugary coffees. It literally went on. And when I put the piece up, like I had teachers, I had everybody coming on to me saying the same thing, literally like, you cannot stop and bring your kids in there because if you do, you have to give them whatever it is they're looking for. Like that's literally, that's going to be a given. So we have to And hope. here we are picking on poor old Luke O'Neill again. But wouldn't it be better if he spoke out about that? Oh, for me, totally. Like yeah. we walked through there and then we walked down along to get something to eat. There was one salad counter and there was nobody at it. Like say the salads and the chickens or whatever. Burger King was full, the whatever. Chinese place or whatever was full. Now I know it was a Sunday and you're allowed to have what you want on a Sunday or whatever but there was one healthy place there was no fruit, there was nothing else on the other side of anything that you could actually feed yourself properly on if you wanted to. Mm. So it's, we're being literally, it's like the farmer world. The farmer world like is like worth how many billion because people need tablets and people want the quick fix. This is actually very funny a girl rang me yesterday evening looking for the weight loss injection. Mm. Um I'd say she was probably mid to late 20s. So this is what we're up against, right? And she said, do you do the weight loss injections? And I said, we do, yeah. How do they work? Can I get one? And I said, well, it depends. There's a criteria. And she said, how do I figure that out? She said, I'm probably a size 10 to 12 and I was only an 8 to 10 before I had the two babies. I need to lose this weight fast and I'm not able to do it myself. And I said, well, maybe you are if you had the right help or whatever. No, I'm not. I don't have the time and I don't have the energy or whatever. Can I do the injection? And I said, well, if you come in and you fill the protocol, fill the process, whatever it is, yeah, 
maybe I can give it to you. How does that work and how much is it? So I said, it's €285 for the injections for a month and to come in, you have to do your bloods and you have to do a consultation, so you have to pay for that as well. Ah, Lord, I'll get it off the back of a lorry instead. The back of a lorry? (laughs) And I said, you need to be careful. I said, people like, are becoming really unwell with these injections. Why? You can buy it? You can buy it over in the internet. You can, you can buy it in Turkey and bring it in with you. You can buy it, yeah. You can buy it in so many different wow. places now and you can just take it. She didn't care what was in it. She said, I'll get some variety of it. And I said, just now, before you go, can I give you one piece of advice? And she said, yeah, what's that? And I said, you've just told me you've two young babies. You want to go from size 10 to a size 8. I said, remember, you want to stay alive for the two babies. Be careful. I said, it's a, it's, it's a medicine. It's your actually that you're injecting, injecting into, into your body every single day. And if it doesn't agree with you, I said, where are you going to go? You don't even know what has happened or what's wrong or whatever, you know. But this was that generation of I've the weight on, I can't lose it. I need something quick. I know these things are there, like just like let me get them. And as far as she was concerned, she wanted me to hand her out a prescription just like that, that she could go and get them, you know. So like we're in a world, I feel, that's totally falling apart. I'm sitting here in my preventative little chair. <laughs> like a Billy No Mates for all the world. And there's a few people that are coming in around yeah. it. And we're talking about the health service falling apart. Like yeah. the health service and the government should be focusing on the preventative side. And if they're not going to focus on the preventative side, person by person that's listening today, you have to do it for yourself. And you don't have to do it within 100%. If you only done 60%, mm. you have some hope of not being in the health service. But if you start eating wrong and you're doing all the salt and everything now four weeks to Christmas... Don't be thinking to yourself when you're sitting on a chair outside A&E on Christmas Eve that you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're going to miss Christmas because you have another three weeks to become well. And I'm not making excuses for slobs like me, but you're really, I mean, I'm not sure how much choice you have. And if you are confronted by aisle after aisle of chocolate and you're on your way to pay for your diesel, Mm. do you know? But I think, Fran, you bought a bike and you're cycling, Mm. right? When you're exercising and you're doing, trying to do things right, you're not as um, inclined to go for the, the rubbish stuff. You'll walk in, you'll pay for the diesel and you'll come out when your mindset is better. So when you do one or two steps right, he's looking at me here now like as if to say, are you for real? I'm just thinking of a, I shouldn't even confess this to you, but I'm thinking of an instance. The last time I was on the bike, I bought a Red Bull and a bar of chocolate. No! As I set, off, shoot you. As I set off on the bike. You didn't. <laughs> Seriously. I know, yeah. <gasps> that's brutal. That's, that's terrible. Well, I was starving, you know. But, yeah. but how many miles do you cycle? Don't be like that. Just don't be <laughs> I like to know that. One. But anyway, if you pe- cycled. If people want to talk to you and be made feel desperately insecure, um, <laughs> how can they do that? Uh, ring me on 052 or our website is, you can um, pop a message on there for www.marito8020.com. All right. Always good to see you, Muriel. Thanks very much. And we'll take a break back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery- Molly says, you say you have a sweet tooth, Fran. All of my teeth are sweet. I have to have a fix of sweet stuff every single day, says Molly. Well, me, me too, but don't, don't tell Muriel, whatever you... Whatever you do. Uh, would you mind asking Muriel about a Bailey's coffee? How many calories? I missed what she said. I think she said about 100 calories. So by comparison to some of the other drinks, particularly to cocktails, it's it's not so bad. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Tip FM's Match 3 game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie. 
And uh, let me see. Nicola is with me. Nicola, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm very well, Nicola. Whereabouts in the county are you? I'm in the lovely Tipperary town. Lovely Tipperary town, indeed. And fair play to you. Um, you know the story, I'm sure, at this point about match three, a number between one and 90. Yeah. You, can, uh, you have to match the three boxes. Now, if you open a box where the prize is gone, I'll give you another shot at it. If you open another box where it's gone, we have to say goodbye, Nicola. Is that all okay with you? That's perfect, yeah. All right, okay. So, you're going to open the first box for me, please? I'm going to go with number 28. Number 28, let's have a look. Number 28 is gone, would you believe? Okay. It was a pair of wireless uh, headphones or something like that. Um, so, do you want to Do you want to pick another one for me? Um, I would go with 48. I beg your pardon? Sorry, 48. 48. Let us open 48 and we'll see what the story is. Yep, that's a Stakedom's gift card and it's uh, 100 euro, valued at 100 euro. So you have to match two more with that now. So pick another one for me. Um, 49. Let's have a look at 49. I'm afraid 49 is not a match. It's a Bose Sound Touch Bluetooth speaker. So I'm afraid uh, we don't have any prize for you today, Nicola. Do you want to say hello to anybody? Um, no, just uh, anyone that knows me, to be honest, friend. All right. Will you play again with us? Of course I will, yeah, oh. if I get the opportunity. All right. You look after yourself, Nicola, and thanks very much indeed. You too, friend. Have a Thank good you. morning. Bye-bye. Take Gina. care. Bye-bye. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Shop online at stakelum.ie. Match 3, win the prize. Tip FM. Now, for this week's Down Your Way, Eamon O'Dwyer, my great friend Eamon, he visits Caparo Ladies Shed, and he began by chatting uh, to the treasurer, Geraldine Conneen. He also spoke to Owen Costello from Tipperary ETB. Uh, let's have a listen. We're the second in North Tipperary, and um, they seem to be growing in the communities from strength to strength. We started off just holding an open meeting to see if would be an interest, and we got a really good turnout, and... It went from there. We're just going about a year, and um, we have 70 members at the moment. Absolutely. And, and doing most of them are here tonight. They are, yeah, a lot of them, and yeah. lots of different activities, and the girls will tell you about in a little while. But, okay. yeah, it's really good, really good, and it's a lovely atmosphere here every week. And So the men aren't going to be let away with it, with the men's shed? Oh, God, no, absolutely no. not. <laughs> We're way better than that. Yeah. <laughs> No, what yeah. tempted you the idea of uh, ladies? Uh, well, a few of us were talking one night and we just felt it would be nice for women to get together. Just some women don't get, you know, have places to go and it's nice to get out and have a chat and a cup mm -hmm. of tea and a cup yeah. of coffee. And if trouble shared or if somebody's feeling a bit down, it lifts them and, you know, it's just a nice... Yeah. A nice atmosphere. I just noticed when I was coming up here tonight, it was just I often do anniversaries of the, the ICA and all that. It could be 50 years. It's a bit like the ICA, is it? Um, Maybe not. Not really, no, not really. Well, I suppose it's kind of a more modern version of the oh, ICA. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're all teens here, I don't think. Yeah. But uh, no, it's, yeah, 
people do what they want to do, you know, and what they're interested in. And we do lots of other activities outside of, of what goes on in the women's shed. And yeah. we get lots of help and grants and stuff. So it's, we'll it's great. All, we'll hear all about how to You will hear all about them, yeah, so absolutely. Are yeah. you chairperson, are you? No, no, I'm treasurer. And okay. um, Sarah is chairperson, Catherine is secretary. Okay. So, yeah. So Catherine, I got to know fairly well for the last uh, six months. Yeah, yeah, we met you in Petty Rowan's there a few months ago. Yeah, 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 which was very good. Yeah, so like, uh, who calls the shots in here every every night? Or just people bring on their own bag of tricks? Absolutely, we all have stuff there. We have different, you know, knitting, the jigsaws, the cards. Mm. And people just take up what they want to do. And uh, if they want to bring something of their, their own... You know, yeah, they yeah. just bring it and, and do it, you know. Yeah. There's no major rules, you know. Just tip along. And you come here every Wednesday night? Every Wednesday night from 7 to 9. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's great. So we'll have to find out about the building we're in. Was that a hall or what was it here? School, it was, was a it? school, yeah. It yeah. was the national school here. And then, I can't remember when it was built, uh, but then the new school was built. So this is the community centre. Mm-hmm. And we have local plays on here um, every year. And um, the Listen Hall players... And they're well known for all their plays over the years. They're going for many years. I remember uh, recording a programme many years ago for Joe, uh, Catherine's uh, uh, brother, uh, to the only magic. Uh, the music up here was second to none. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And indeed, we have fantastic musicians here. Tonight. Tell absolutely. us where the musicians are. Uh, there's Judy on keyboard, Laura on the harp, and Kira on the guitar, and they're teachers in the local school. Absolutely, yeah, it's yeah. Hall School. Yeah. Yeah. We also have a um, Capro Enhancement Group, which is a lot are involved in that as well. It's kind of a tidy towns, so we okay. keep the area nice and clean and different okay. activities in that. Okay. How are you on? I'm good, thanks, Eamon. Yeah, from good. D- from the ETB? Tiberi ETB, yes. So okay. uh, I work in the community education section of Tiberi ETB, based in Nina, and I operate out of North Tipperary. So about a year ago, Catherine made contact with me, obviously heard of some of the work we were doing with uh, another women's shed uh, in Newport mm-hmm. through Shona O'Gorman. Uh, they're doing some brilliant work up there. Catherine uh, got in contact with us and subsequently got in contact with uh, Shona. I suppose Shona was able to show them what can be done. Um, they'll be hugely successful women's shed over there and it'll just tell you a testament to to what they've been doing is there's women's sheds now contacting Catherine uh, so the the circle is is growing absolutely yeah so Mm -hmm. we have a Ballymackie women's shed now who who have uh, partnered up with us We've uh, we've a ladies group in Rat Cabin again, and word gets around these these local communities about what's being done at local level. Mm-hmm. Uh, from our perspective, we're just happy to help in any way we can. We work with community groups such as this to keep education in their community. So you see the hall here. Uh, you know, it's, it'd be a shame if a hall like this wasn't being used. And it's a credit to the women here that they can actually meet every week and keep a hall like this uh, going uh, and keep themselves going. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, as as they were saying, um, you know, maybe there isn't enough for uh, women in parishes like this. You know, there's 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 activities there that maybe are are focused on other people, but. They've turned the tables on that. Uh, they've got their night of the week, and the ETB are absolutely delighted to support that. Yeah, I was involved with a programme with ETB in the last number of weeks. Uh, Guy Jonathan Bell and Gary wrote his own poems and yeah. book, launched his book up in Arts and Jockey. Yeah, just again, uh, Liam Clear, a fantastic uh, opportunity for Liam and the ETB to support that. Tell us the role that you have then, uh, 
to put this together? Yeah, look, I'll be honest with you, the, the work is done by the women here. It's not done by ourselves. We have the easy part. We, uh, Catherine has been amazing to work with. She's done a huge amount, as her, her colleagues here at the table have done, huge amount local level mm-hmm. just to get the women here mm-hmm. and to keep them here. That's the, our part is the easy part coming in on that. We started about a year ago. We, we came in here, myself and one of my tutors, we delivered a, an energy saving in the home workshop for a couple of hours. Uh, pretty daunting is the only, as you, as you can see tonight, you know, coming into a room with 61 w- women. But you have me for support here tonight, Emma. <laughs> and I need, might need your support before I go home. Well, we're not sure how that turned out, but if you want to find out uh, this Saturday morning from 10 o'clock, of course, down your way with the great uh, Eamon O'Dwyer. Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan was on to us following my conversation with uh, Jasper, the undertaker from uh, from Feathered. And Anne-Marie says, uh, when my dad died, I brought his two grandchildren to come and see him and say goodbye. This was before the undertakers took him away. It was very important for them to know that he was gone. They were six and four years old and we still talk about it in a normal way and they talk about when they went to see him. So that's in from Anne-Marie today. Thanks for that, Anne-Marie. Another list is saying, I can't believe what your caller is saying. Funerals in the UK are certainly not like that. He must know some very rude people. I also have heard of people here in Ireland that want privacy during a funeral. Irish people can even look forward to a funeral. I myself don't believe in big wakes with music, etc. It's not celebrating the person's life. It's because we can't do anything without alcohol being involved. And not all countries are like that. Says a listener. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Time now to talk farming, and I'm glad to be joined by Amy Ford, who is news editor of the Irish Farmers Journal. Good morning to you, Amy. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. Factory agents, Amy, they're scrambling for cattle supplies this week. They are uh, Christmas uh, Christmas price boost for for finishers. Essentially, Fran, prime cattle supplies are in free fall this week. Um, there's over four thousand fewer bullocks and heifers were killed in the last week compared to four weeks ago. I mean, there's a tightening in supply, and this supply demand shift basically has meant that factories have had to increase quotes to farmers by about ten to twenty cents a kilo in the last two weeks in order to secure cattle. Um, However, despite the increase in quotes, you know, Ireland, we're still a long way behind the prices that are being paid in our main export markets. For argument's sake, in, in France, R3 heifers at the moment are being quoted at 581 euro a kilo and British heifers are at 591. Like that's a full kilo ahead of our prices. Wow. But all in positive in one way that look prices are up 20, 10 to 20 cents a kilo this week as, as factories are scrambling for cattle for the Christmas orders. That's interesting. Why, by the way, are farmers paid less here by comparison to other countries? Uh, just, I suppose it depends on supply and demand everywhere else. Yeah. Ireland has often lagged behind um, our other uh, EU partners, I suppose, or places we export to. Uh, purely depends on their own factories, their own demand and what they can pay. Um, our factories here, they, they set the prices here and, and um, I suppose farmers mm-hmm. are at the mercy of those and, and they set the price. And if they're, in this case, obviously, if, if there is a more of a scarcity of cattle, the price will go up if there's less around basic supply and demand. But um, hopefully the the push can continue into next week, potentially. I'm confused, Amy, about the nitrate derogation at this stage. I mean, is there hope for a reprieve from the planned cut in in nitrate derogation now? What's the story with that? 
It's a hard one to talk about. There's definitely a lot of confusion, all right. And there is a lot of hope out there that today could be the day that there could be a potential reprieve. Um, We covered it a couple of weeks ago that there could be a potential phase in period that the the move wouldn't take place from 250 to 220. The farmers might have a couple of months to adjust to that given the short time frame they were notified of it this year. But today on Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and Minister for Agriculture Charlie McConnell, they are meeting the European Commissioner for the Environment. In Dublin today, he's here for a flying visit and the nitrates derogation is really top of the billing in that agenda, Fran. Um, and both the Taoiseach the and the Minister have told us over the last number of days that they will be looking for any potential flexibilities for yes. farmers today. But the law is the law, the regulation is the regulation that Europe did set. Um, Ireland did agree to a water quality review and if that review went the wrong way it meant that in from 1st of January 2024 that um, farmers in parts of the country would see their um, maximum rate cut from 250 to 220 so you know that's there in black and white but if there is flexibility mm. um, that's what they'll be looking for today and so it's really a hard one to know. You and know? did I not read in last week's Farmers Journal Amy that the European Commissioner with the name that nobody can pronounce um that he would be flexible in some way. He said he would provide flexibility if he could, but he was very clear that the the rule is the rule. So right. it's it's there's a lot of um, I don't want to say skirting around the out, uh, you know, skirting on the sidelines or anything like that. I think what farmers need is uh, to be told that there either is or isn't some flexibility from the 1st of January. Like, we're talking a month away from yes, when this decision sure, comes yeah. into place and they just really need an answer to to see if there is any flexibility. That needs to come as soon as possible so they can make decisions um, that impact them inside their farm gate. Yeah, and in light of that, then, it's interesting to read that uh, fertiliser sales is down 18%. Yeah, really positive story um, in terms of fertiliser sales. They're down to 1.1 million tonnes compared to what was sold in 2022 um, and overall since 2021 it's a 33% reduction across the board. I suppose the key thing to look at Fran is that nitrogen sales have tanked by 18% as well to 280,500 tonnes um, and anyone that's tuned into the Climate Action Plan and its targets, it know, there's a target in that that there's a reduction in nitrogen sales yeah. to 300,000 tonnes by 2030 with an interim target of 330,000 tonnes by 2025 so uh, the, the sector has basically met that, met and surpassed that target for 2023 already. Um, I suppose a lot of that will have come down to price last year. Prices for fertilizer yes. in, in 21 and 2022 um, were were up, so farmers pulled back on the amount of it they were spreading. And I suppose a lot of farmers, well, some farmers that would have spoken to us said that you know pulling back on the amount of fertilizer they applied, bag fertilizer, anyways, um, you know that there wasn't as much difference in grass growth and so on that, you know, mm. maybe they didn't need to be spreading as much of it. So I think a lot of farmers, one, save money and two, have obviously it's benefited the environment mm. and it will benefit us in terms of this climate action plan. But it really is something to say that, you know, that the sector has met this target already for 2023, seven years ahead of yes. its schedule. Like. But I, I know farmer, as you know, Amy, but was there not a difficulty in getting fertiliser and does that play into this in some way? There was, at certain times of the year, there was, but the price point was the really main thing that prevented oh, farmers right. from okay. doing it, Fran. It was, you know, over a thousand euro a ton in some cases for, for certain types of fertiliser, and, and it took ages for those prices to come down, so farmers held off on buying.
I was surprised and disappointed to read as well that female students uh, studying agriculture, Amy, they expect to earn lower salaries than their male counterpoints. That is disappointing, yeah. isn't it? It's very disappointing. Um, we'll have to go in and talk to them. Um, basically, female students yeah, studying ag science expect to earn lower salaries than their male counterparts despite studying the exact same course. And this is found in a student survey um, that's published in the Farmers Journal this week. It was over 200 students took place earlier this month. And it was really to assess their opinions and expectations on the future, their future, um, the future workforce um, in the farming sector. Um, it's really, I suppose, disappointing in in one way that that female students expect to earn lower than their their male counterparts, um, even though they have the exact same qualification. Uh, I suppose there look there is data out there that you know when women are applying for jobs, they nearly want to be meeting all of the spec in the jobs before they apply. They think they can't apply. While I think there's it's like if if there's three or four out of ten that tick the box, uh, men will will put in their CV for it. Um, so there's maybe something that needs to be done on that. Where it's done, I don't know. But, uh, uh, like, you know, it's basically mm. it should, it should be expecting the same thing. Well, that, that's for sure. And in contrast, I see that 39% of male students um, select uh, the, the highest salary bracket. So, and that's that's their expectation. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, before, before you go, can I ask you about the IFA election and what the current news on that is? Yeah, um, another week of voting almost over at branch AGMs around the country. Uh, the IFA have confirmed that over 10,000 postal ballots have been re- returned in the elections. So this year is a completely different... I think we may have lost. We may have lost Amy there. Amy, can you still hear me? No, sadly, we've lost uh, we've lost Amy there, but she was going to tell us that uh, 10,000 postal votes have been returned in the IFA uh, election. Uh, in addition to postal ballots uh, being used for the first time, people have the opportunity to vote at the local branch AGM, provided they bring their ballot papers uh, along with them. That's almost it for me. Before I go, uh, some people asking about that uh, particular book that we spoke of earlier on as well, Stories from the Heart of... Of Ireland, 61 stories of inspiration and hope and it's compiled by uh, Brendan Power in aid of Make-A-Wish Foundation and we spoke to Brendan a little earlier on in the programme and uh, lots of stories in there, including one from my good self, I have to say, in there uh, too. But it's a very, very interesting read indeed and everybody from John Magnier to Cathy Kelly and Tommy Fleming and all sorts of people in there. And what does come across right through the stories is that people who are as we might think of them, uh, successful people. Um, There's a vulnerability about everybody, no matter who they are, no matter how much money they have or whatever. So it makes it a very interesting read. It's available in all good uh, bookstores and, as I say, in aid of the wonderful Make-A-Wish Foundation. That's it for me. Uh, Emma produced Ali, looks after her content. Stephen's on the way with the Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show. He'll also play Match 3 for you and I'll talk to you tomorrow. You'll look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.